everyone, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and hey, you can find us on social media at uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, at Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can also search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And hey, please, wherever you're listening to this, please follow us or, or subscribe. It will really help us out. Doing that for anybody really just helps content creators. It's just a part of our world, all right? So we really, really appreciate it, and hopefully you're willing to support us. Again, you know, give us a rating, a review, subscribe. Whatever you feel uh, willing to do is wonderful. Um, hey, I'm going to jump into it because this is going to be a long episode. I'm going to warn you real quick. Uh, when we get into the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff, because that's our long-form conversation for tonight as we get closer to the summer blockbusters this year, um, Joe and I really kind of dig into it. It's no secret that Joe's a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I am a much larger critic, so we kind of, you know, we kind of have like a little friendly, I wouldn't call it even a debate so much, but, you know, I guess I will. It's kind of a friendly debate about the MCU. And you know what? We just let the we just let the the uh, I don't know. We just let the mics go. I don't know how to say that. We recorded and we didn't stop until we were done. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say we let the cameras roll, but we're not you know rolling. Anyways, we uh, we just let it go. So this this is an extra long episode. This is an exceptional thing. Uh, this is probably gonna be at least two and a half hours probably. But our long form talk was. Uh, about like an hour and 45 minutes or something. I don't, I don't remember how long it was, but it, it's pretty long. Uh, but yeah, we, we really dig into it, and I think you'll learn a lot about how we think about movies, you know? And uh, I'll, let, I'll let you decide, you know, who, who, who's the better man at the end of this little debate. Um, but I had, I had a good time talking with Joe, and I learned a lot about how he sees these movies and why he likes them. And hopefully I was articulate enough, because I do ramble a bit, but I, hopefully I was articulate enough to kind of get through this, because I've, I've wanted to talk like this for like 15 years or something, okay? I mean, I've wanted to like kind of have this conversation and kind of do a long-form deep dive into the MCU. Uh, but, you know, we don't ruin every movie. We don't do a ton of spoilers or anything, but there are some. So if you haven't seen any and you care about spoilers, we do talk about things like the end of Endgame or the end of Infinity War. We talk about certain key moments in, you know, uh, a few a, a few various movies. Okay, um, so if if you don't want to have those spoiled, then. I don't know, maybe skip this episode or, you know, stop it after the Mortal Kombat thing, because that's what I'm going to do first, and I want to get to it real quick so that I don't add much more time to this show here. Um, first, you know, before we get to the MCU conversation, uh, I had a, a chance to see Mortal Kombat, and this is the first show that we've had since I saw it, so uh, it came out last Friday on HBO Max, so definitely feel free to go check that out, and if you want to see it before I talk about it, which I don't spoil anything... But if you want to see it before I talk about it, by all means, pause now, go check it out. Uh, but I will say this, this is less a review of Mortal Kombat, um, and it's more of uh, just kind of like my general thoughts, and ju I just kind of talk about and around the movie. It's less of me giving a formal review and more just kind of talking about things that also honestly tie into a lot of uh, things we're going to talk about with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you stick with us. I really appreciate uh, you guys listening. And hey, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. These are my thoughts and my little talk about Mortal Kombat. First learned about this seven years ago on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. 
when we got there. It tore through our unit in seconds. The target has superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. Mortal Kombat. These are your champions. I'm Sonya. That's Kano. I'm Liu Kang. Name's Jax. Kong La. Lord Raiden. The fate of Earth is in our hands. No matter how many of my people you put in the ground. We will not fail. Kill them. I am Sub Zero. Beauty. Mortal Kombat is directed by Simon McCoy, and it was released last Friday, April 23rd. It's about a washed-up MMA fighter, Cole Young, who seeks out and trains with Earth's greatest champions as he prepares to stand against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. He seeks this guidance only after Emperor Shang Tsung's best warrior, Sub-Zero, is sent to hunt him down and end his bloodline. Unaware of his heritage, Cole has to find out why he was chosen to be one of Earth's elite champions and unlock the power that lies dormant within. Now, to show my hand right away, one of my favorite letterboxed reviews, quote-unquote, was written by Matt Neglia, and it reads, Mortal Kombat will surely satisfy longtime fans of the franchise who are bloodthirsty and have nostalgic a nostalgic connection to these characters. However, for those who are skeptics or require things like a story with a consistent tone or compelling characters, they at least get Sub-Zero and Scorpion, right? They'll be the ones looking to finish this reboot of the franchise before it begins. Finishes in all caps, like, FINISH HIM! But anyways... Uh, You know, critic Matt Singer wrote uh, a review for Screen Crush saying, I'm not sure I fully understand the rules of Mortal Kombat. How do you know when someone's won? Are there, like, rounds? You can just kill your opponent before the fight begins, and that's fine? He goes on to say, despite all of that, that he still enjoys the film, giving it a 3 out of 5 rating. But he also highlights a super annoying problem with a lot of blockbusters today. Uh, but it is especially present here. When telling your story, it doesn't matter if it takes place in our world or in a different dimension altogether, a fantasy world, or freaking Tatooine. 
okay? The thing that matters is that we, the audience, understand how the world and the reality within that world works. What are the physics, maybe? Or, or does anyone who comes to this place get magic powers? Or what threats live here? Or what is the culture like? What we need to know depends on the film, the place, the setting, the whole deal, right? And it can be these questions can be different for different movies. But in the case of Mortal Kombat, the filmmaker's sole focus seems to be, you guys want to see Mortal Kombat characters, so here they are doing some cool shit. But because it lacks in all other departments, especially storytelling, performances, and overall execution, that, quote, cool shit is really just tolerable editing and CG. Now, I won't act like there isn't anything here to appreciate. Sub-Zero has a few creative spots during some fight scenes, like the now famous frozen blood dagger. The history established between Sub-Zero and Scorpion was compelling, to say the least, though ultimately made far less meaningful you know, throughout the duration of the film, I would argue. But Sub-Zero and Scorpion seem to be done right, so in that way, I agree with Matt Neglia. Some of the gore looked cool. And that's honestly about the bulk of the positives. <laughs> um, but I, I can't stress enough how hopeful I was going into this. And, and the opening scene, though not incredible, but it had some promising qualities that I was fully ready to accept. But then the aspects Matt Singer pointed out hit. The fight scene after fight scene with shoestring thin plot devices tying each together. My friend texted me, a uh, very close friend of mine, we were texting about it, and he, is a he was asking me about it a few days ago to see if I had seen it early, and I hadn't. So, you know, uh, I text him that I wasn't a huge fan, and he said, well, I wasn't expecting Shakespeare, but, you know, are the fights good? Now, if this is how you're reacting to me so far, I would say just skip ahead and watch the movie yourself, because you probably won't be have any interest in what I'm about to say. I think the fight scenes are boring. But I would also never ask, but are the fights good in any context of my life about any film, okay? <laughs> so honestly, I don't even know how to respond to that question because good fights will never make a movie worth seeing to me. Um, uh, so if you think the fights in this are awesome, which I just don't, like we can argue about that sometime. Like I said, the Sub-Zero Scorpion fight's pretty cool, but there's clearly a certain level of talent or or skill that is there that is not in a lot of the other ones. Um, they are clear, clearly good martial artists. But, you know, I, I will say a few things. Kano ruins any opportunity for being able to see anything seriously, to take any of it seriously, and I hate him. The references to the game, like, get over here and finish him, you know, uh, those are actually those are actually used as dialogue in the film, and they actually were done pretty well. Like, they kind of worked for me, and I'm sure to make fans happy. The journey to Raiden's temple looks really cool until they actually get there, but they actually go through this really cool tunnel, and it reminds me of something that would be in, like, Dune or something. Maybe... Um, maybe the new Dune that will be coming out will have some cool shit like that. Uh, Jax's arms are stupid. I'll just say that. I mean, like, really lame. That was, uh, unfortunately, a forced thing that was only because the game, he has, like, cool robot arms in the game. Uh, and did I mention Kano pisses me off? Anyways, uh, but instead of ripping into Mortal Kombat and talking about why I awarded it a one and a half out of five rating, I would rather play armchair booker and rebook the territory, so to speak. Let me tell you how the film could work and potentially last the test of time, which I don't believe this one will. 
Is this helpful? No, not at all. Uh, Is this going to be an example of good criticism? Absolutely not. But I'd rather talk about how this could be better than simply complain about how bad it is. And uh, this is my show, so deal with it. You know, we're we're, we're talking about MCU today in a few moments, uh, Joe and I. And though I am a critic of the franchise, they do one thing correct. I mean, in theory, though not always in execution. But Individual character stories that ultimately tie into a cinematic Marvel event with the Avengers movies. Again, in theory, this should allow you to develop your characters before they are thrown into a large ensemble where everyone has to get their stuff in, you know, they have to get their moments in, and it leads to a lack of development. But if you already develop ahead of time, then we have some more context, some more concern, some interest going in, and, you know, I I would... I would say that for the most part, like I said, in theory, that really works. Well, what I would love to have seen is Mortal Kombat employ this. You know, take two characters. Let's say uh, Liu Kang and Sonya Blade, and we follow them exclusively, apart from one another. They both have these marks on their bodies in the shape of an MK symbol, uh, the dragon, and, you know, something that has gone unexplained over the course of their lives. We see the conflicts they both experience unrelated to the plot of the Mortal Kombat tournament, but, you know, just actual character development, conflict, and personality. Eventually, these ninjas begin hunting down Liu Kang and Sonya Blade, still separate, unaware of each other. The ninjas are, I don't know, let's just say Sub-Zero and Scorpion, both bad guys, though, like I said, I like how they did... Sub-Zero and Scorpion in the new movie, but for the sake of this hypothetical scenario, we'll say they're both bad guys. The assassins are ninjas, and in the history of Mortal Kombat, we have plenty. Sub-Zero, Scorpion, Noob Saibot, Reptile, Smoke, Rain, Melina, Katana, etc. There's tons that you could work with, and this would add consistency, and we would get to, uh, you know, we would get that there is a cohesive look to the assassins in the outworld, not a random band of misfits. And their champions are trained and transformed into these ninjas. Now, the first film uh, in this hypothetical scenario would focus on Kang and Sonya and, you know, would have probably only two ninjas. And at some point, they meet Raiden, protector of the world, and they learn of an ancient tournament and that, you know, that we are coming upon. And, and Kane and Sonya are two of several champions chosen by the gods. And there are more. And, you know, you must go find them and bring them here. And, you know, that could maybe be Johnny Cage, Jax, whoever. But the first film focuses on Kang and Sonya. And this, again, this is not the real movie. This is a hypothetical scenario. But the first one would focus on Kang and Sonya. I'm not going into all the content, you know, that would be in between all of this stuff because, you know, it really would depend on who their characters would be and where they'd be from and all of that. And that's, you know, I mean, that's for the screenwriters, I guess. But my point is, uh, you know, Liu Kang could be the man of intuition, arcane by nature and spiritual. Sonya could be the practical, pragmatic soldier she is. And there's conflict there as well, you know, and development is everything. So maybe the second film follows Johnny Cage prior to being found, and we learn uh, more about the Outworld and Shang Tsung and the ninjas and the ancient tournament through Liu Kang and Sonya as they talk with Raiden and learn more about it before they go out to find Johnny Cage. You know, all of this would help us understand who he is and why we should care beyond, I used to play this game and I used this character. So... 
throw all of that out. Maybe there are just 90 to 120 minute movies made about each of, say, four characters. We could say Johnny Cage, Luke King, Sonya Blade, and Raiden. I don't know. And then all of which, you know, are being hunted by ninjas. And then, you know, as people are talking to Raiden or whoever, you know, by proxy, the audience in is in on the history of the Mortal Kombat tournament, along with these characters that know nothing about it, and they're learning it for the first time as well. My point in bringing all of this up, because it's not helpful and ultimately doesn't matter. I'm not the filmmaker. I'm not the screenwriter. I'm not making beat sheets for this thing. The point is, there are a ton of ways this could go, all of which are better than what we got Friday, okay? <laughs> all right, I'm not saying that my my very quick, you know, rundowns of just a few general, very broad ideas that would have to be worked out to a significant degree, I fully understand. But just bringing up these contexts shows you in a split moment off the top of my head, I can come up with ideas that could be really kick-ass, and yet we get this thing. Like the concept of Sub-Zero and Scorpion in this having like a history and being mortal enemies essentially, or immortal enemies I guess at this point, it's really awesome. I think that's really cool, and I love that direction. But the rest of the film really is a mess. And also, Goro should have never been in this movie. What a wasted opportunity. Uh, I mean, even if he was in the movie, he should have never been put in a fight in the first movie. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I don't want to ruin uh, any of that. But the point is, you know, it would have been really cool, like I said, if there were 90-minute to 120-minute movies put out for a significantly lower budget, you could easily do it lower than $95 million, and you could still make a, some really kick-ass movies that develop exclusive characters before we start jumping into the Mortal Kombat tournament. And it doesn't matter if the game, the Mortal Kombat games, actually develop any of these characters. That's not the point. Your filmmakers make us care. That's your job. So all of this to say, there were a lot of wasted opportunities. There were a lot of, you know, pretty decent to really cool concepts that are just, you know, fumbled here. It's not an absolute waste of time at all. You know, I didn't hate myself watching it, but I just, I feel like every scene was just like, man, that could have been cool. Well, that doesn't really work, but, you know, it could have easily worked if X happened. Just like one little change can make a lot of these things better. Plus, as Matt Singer said, we honestly, you know, other than playing the game, we don't really understand what's happening with this tournament. Or why, like, why does someone get to own, like, run Earth if they lose 10 tournaments in a row? Like, I don't need everything to be explained, but I also don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm just watching a fight scene, and then, like I said, a shoestring plot device to tie the next fight scene into the last. So... I don't know why it's so hard to make a Mortal Kombat movie that works. I mean, those ones in the 90s have like a cult following, and they are really ridiculous, and and I do enjoy watching them because they're so bad. But this movie, oh man, it's, it's like bad in a different way, and it's really disappointing. And I feel like this is how a lot of reviews, my solo reviews are going to go, just being a negative Nancy. And it sucks because I don't want to be this way, but this is what we have been offered, unfortunately. So... The point is, I gave this one and a half out of five. Please feel free to go check it out on HBO Max. It is out now, and if you see it and you agree or disagree, please hit me up 
on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can hit us up at Medium Cool Pod on each of those platforms, or you can hit me up directly at Austin Glidden on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And uh, hey, subscribe and everything to this and, and keep up with us so you can watch some new movies and, and get our takes on them. So uh, I'll be back in just a moment with Joe, and we are probably going to argue. <laughs> I'm not sure yet, but uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe we'll argue about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So stay tuned. All right, Joe, uh, the moment we've all been waiting for. I've talked about Mortal Kombat already on this episode, and... I kind of, you know, paved the way for our conversation about the MCU. Now, uh, those for those listening, you have to know what the MCU is. But if you don't know what that is, it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is uh, comprised of 23 films currently, but there are 11 upcoming for the fourth phase. And uh, this is the highest grossing film franchise in history, which is really easy to do whenever you have 23 films, you know. However, $22.6 billion, this thing. Wow, that's a lot. So uh, just to give you a rundown of the movies, just really quickly, phase one is Iron Man, then Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, the first Thor movie, Captain America, the first Avenger, and then the Avengers ensemble. And then that's the end of phase one. Phase two starts with Iron Man 3, Thor, the Dark World, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. And then to bring us to, I think 2019 was the most recent with Phase 3, Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, and Spider-Man Far From Home. That is a long phase, man. That's a wow. lot of them. So Phase 4 begins with the Black Widow standalone movie on uh, July 9th of this year. And that's kind of why we've uh, decided to have this conversation now, because summer is fast approaching, Joe, and blockbusters will be hitting theaters and streaming on Disney Plus and HBO Max and so on. And so uh, I thought it would be an interesting idea to have a friendly debate with Joe about the MCU. And maybe we actually won't debate as much as I anticipate, because uh, I have unabashedly been a critic of the franchise, though I do enjoy several titles. Uh, but I... I I'm really curious and kind of letting you start, Joe. Um, And again, just to let listeners know, I'm not coming into this wanting to win an argument. That's not what we're doing. I am sincerely interested in doing this because I want to understand from someone who loves this franchise why you love this franchise and why you put so much weight behind it, whereas someone like me feels like this is taking up way too much space on the cinematic landscape. So I want to hear... Sincerely to understand and learn. That's my approach here. Doesn't mean I won't yell at you, Joe. But <laughs> but g- g- give me your thoughts. I mean, what what makes you? I know this is a general question. We'll get into specifics soon. But uh-huh. what makes you love this so much, Joe? Yeah. There. So for me, it start it starts with my childhood. Okay. These were these characters. Um, for me specifically, it was Spider Man but also mostly the Marvel characters in, in particular. Um, I had had, you know, as a kid, I'd had enough of a taste of superheroes um, in the movies. Superman was, you know, the, the be all and end all when I was a kid. Sure. It was a huge, you know, it was a huge deal. I remember 
I don't remember when the original Superman came out, but I remember um, vaguely Superman 2, definitely Superman 3. 78, and, I believe, was the first one. Yeah, so seven, yeah, 78, I, w- I was just a year old. So um, I didn't, but I did see, I believe I saw Superman 2 in theaters as a kid, definitely Superman 3. And I was blown away by it. And I always loved superheroes. I collected comic books avidly as a kid. Um, Marvel was always my thing. And Spider-Man in particular, but, you know, Marvel more in general. And I always dreamed of seeing these movies, seeing these these characters, you know, made into movies. Um, there was a, a thing called Secret Wars, where essentially all of the superheroes fought all of the supervillains on this, literally on this planet. Like, this is all they're there to do is battle each other. Uh, and it just grabbed my imagination and held on to it. And I always wanted to see these made into movies. And then, um, you know, of course, uh, you know, the 89 Batman came out and, you know, and, and superhero movies were what they were at that point. But, um, but when I, you know, when they started making these, um, you know, superhero films, they're all standalone, right? Um, you know, going even into, you know, X-Men started and then, you know, Spider-Man and this, you know, that the Sam Raimi series. Yeah. Those were standalone films. They they had room for those characters and that was it. And there was no, you know, there was no, let's cross them over. Let's have them all in the same universe. Let's, you know, let's put them in. And it was always annoying to me uh, because that was such a big strength of Marvel in the comics is that their characters interact with each other so much. These characters are all in, um, as opposed to, you know, if I'm comparing to DC, they're all in their own real world. You know, they're in, they're in New York or they're, you know, they're in real sure. places. They're not in Gotham City and Metropolis, you know, generic, you know, standalone things. And watch and it. So there's, so there's a realism. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. Like <laughs> they're not real. <laughs> you know, Spider-Man is real. Batman is not. Suck it. <laughs> no, but um, you know that. But you know, just they're just those things that that lend authenticity. Um, that that just grabbed me a little bit more, and that and that idea that these characters all exist in the same universe, in the same world, even was so much more to me. Um, and, and of course, you know, not, that's not to say DC doesn't have that also. Of course, there's the Justice League and there's, you know, so that, there's a lot of that. But it always just, it always felt more for Marvel. So I always had, for some reason, and, and it was probably the lack of having those films anyway. You know, there was no Spider-Man film in the 80s. Sure. Um, the closest we had was the, the goofy late 70s TV stuff, which was, you know, was what it was. <laughs> Crap, mostly, but, you know. A guy running so, around in what looks like pajamas? Yes. Yeah, literally, yeah, <laughs> it's literally like pajamas. And yeah, uh, and he had these giant wristbands, like these giant bracelet things on, you know. But um, but anyway, um, so the thing overall, and I'm, you know, I'm rambling now at this point, but where <laughs> where it, it really hooked me was that after Iron Man, which, you know, which is a standalone movie, um, you know, all of those first those first movies are are more or less standalone, except that they reference each other. You know that 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 was the thing about that first phase was that they all they all reference each other. Of course, Tony Stark appears in The Incredible Hulk, and you know there's there is a little bit of you know kind of secondary crossover. But the promise to come was that these guys are all going to jump in, and there's going to be um, a, you know there's going to be this continuity. There's going to be this you know these this world. It's not as easy as we're going to make a movie with a guy in a bat suit. We're going to make a guy movie with a guy in the Superman suit. This is 
a, you know, we're going to have to tell a larger story. We're going to have to be careful. We can't just have, you know, filmmakers willy-nilly doing stuff and adding things in that, that don't work. You know, I give you Superman 2 with, you know, Superman or, you know, like they're shooting lasers out of their fingers and teleporting <laughs> and disappearing and stuff. <clears throat> Cellophane, Superman shield flying around and things like that. They, they have to follow the rules, essentially. And the rules have always been important and movies have traditionally been able to just break those rules whenever they wanted. And, you know, and just, ah, screw this. I'm not going to make, you know, you know, what, what if Spider-Man's web shooters were organic, you know, like stuff like that, which didn't bother me at the time, but, you know, but then I'm like, why, why does it have to be different? You know, why, you know, what's the, you know, you're, you're going to believe a guy can, can literally, you can't believe a guy can create web fluid and in a mechanical device, but you we are supposed to believe that he can actually shoot it physically out of his wrist, you know? And it's just like that kind of stuff. They're just choices made for the sake of being choices. And um, so these movies coming from Marvel, you know, for themselves, they developed a plan. They did what, you know, what they needed to do to create an actual Marvel universe is really more or less unprecedented in the history of cinema. Um, you know, you can you can look back. I mean, you look back at the franchises. Star Wars is probably Star Wars and Star Trek are probably the two that are the the closest. But even they have have broken their own rules at times, um, and and had you know loopholes and things for the sake of you know. Well, we but, can't do this story. With this. Yeah, they're not on that scale though, because you you got the Han Solo story. Well, yeah. after the MCU would start, like if they had started yeah. doing those things, like build up Han Solo first, build up yeah. Luke Skywalker, build up so and so. If they had done that first back in the 70s or 80s, you know, and yeah. then, yeah. you know, or even the 90s ones, if they had done that, uh, you could yeah. see a uh, parallel. But one thing I will give you, and this is one of my perks that I'll get into once you finish, um, uh. is the MCU did on paper, theoretically, start to build something that makes a whole damn lot of sense and it wasn't done before. So I, 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 I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, you know, the, these are, you know, a series, a series of books, you know, where that, that's what it feels like to me is a series of books where you're being told a big story as opposed to being told stories of sequels, you know, it's, and, and that's not to say, you know, when, when Iron Man came out, they didn't have Avengers Endgame mapped out. You know, like, like that's, yeah. that, you know, that's, that's not, I'm, I, I know that's not the case, but they knew that something was coming and they, you know, that this was going to be a thing. And once it did, they were like, we're going to make this, we're going to have the threads there so that we can tie them all together in a seamless way. So, there, and there's, there's nothing really huge or major. There's no big glaring plot holes that, you know, in this franchise that allows them to, that you could just look and go, oh, well, this is obviously you know, there's obviously a hole in your story because blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, aside from, you know, there's minor things here and there, of course, but, um, but that, you know, th those are all things that, that contribute to it. But then the, the larger thing is the way they've, they've established a formula by not even really being a formula. And, and I'm, I'm going to reference this article that I read uh, this morning uh, from the Harvard Business Review of all things about the blockbuster, Marvel, it's called Marvel's Blockbuster Machine. I don't know, maybe we can put on Facebook a link to it or something. But um, you know, I've I've always said these these movies are they're formula movies, but they're genre jumping formula movies. So 
it, you know, and we'll get into it, you know, but certain movies are, you know, you could call certain movies as certain things. Like, you know, yeah. Iron Man is essentially a character study of one person, right? Like, you know, Tony Stark is front and center, the star of that movie. This is mostly about his development and his journey. And the other, most of the other characters are just there as almost a set dressing. Even the villain feels like a second thought, you know? Yeah. And we don't even get, you know, we, we just get real little setups until the very end. And then he's fighting Iron Monger, who's maybe the worst of the Marvel villains. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he, and, you know, and that's it's just be, it's not even important, right? It's like it doesn't matter. It's like he's got to fight somebody at the end. Might as well, okay, might as well be this. Um, but you know, there's they, they're all like they they end up becoming their own genre. Like you know, Captain America is in, is in a lot of ways a World War II movie, uh, the first Avenger. Anyway, Thor is is kind of like Shakespearean sci-fi. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. You got it. Or, or you know, even Cap 2 is like an action film. Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, is just, a comedy. Like, I get what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, they so they go through genres, you know, um, and they basically just are, they basically dip into a genre, put their superhero in, and let that, you know, coalesce. And, and, it, and it makes it something that feels generally authentic. And they, you know, but the, the formula part is, you know, it's kind of the, like the general structure, of course, who the bad guy is, is going to be. The bad guy is always a parallel to the hero and, you know, in some way. And uh, which, I mean, which is honestly, though, is not something to even be critical of because that's the case in most movies, right? Most films, they have heroes and the heroes and their antagonists are generally, you know, parallel in some way. Um, and then, you know, there's, you know, a, there's sequences of humor, you know, and then, of course, the regular action sequences. So, so there's all of that. So, but they do it right through the filmmakers they choose, the actors they choose. And it doesn't matter so much that the films, uh, the films kind of sometimes feel derivative of each other. That it's, it's almost like it doesn't matter because the, the personalities in there make it feel different enough, you know, and they're, you know, it's, you know, star Lords, you know, witticisms versus Iron Man's witticisms, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, there's, of course, the similarities, but, and you know, it's coming, but it still feels fresh, and they still have enough surprises here and there to, um, to keep you, to keep you happy, and they just built a juggernaut with it, and, and I love it, I, I tell everybody, these are the movies I've wanted since I was eight years old, and I've not been disappointed by a single one of them yet, um, you know, I, we really, Joe? Yeah, not a one of them. I, there's not a one that okay. I watch that I go, that's just a terrible movie. Okay. That is just a terrible start to finish movie that has no redeeming value to it. Okay. We'll get to that for sure because sure. Um, I'll say, I want to say, I want to kind of touch on chronologically what you talked about here. So yeah. the MCU is kind of this unprecedented thing. And I remember after Iron Man came out, which I didn't see that for a while after it came out, I don't think I started really watching the MCU stuff, I want to say, honestly, until I saw Thor. I think okay. I saw the first Thor, and then I was like, huh. So I went back and watched the three prior, and then Cap yeah. Captain America, the first Avenger came out, and then I saw the Avengers. So I saw the first phase, but I think I started at Thor. Because I don't remember why, to be honest. I think maybe the year Thor came out, I was doing my big push for the top ten and trying to fit in a ton of movies, and I think I just like put that on. And to kind of go back in history, actually, like you were saying, since I was a kid, 
I've loved Marvel stuff, okay? Yeah. I will always watch these movies, despite anything I say negative toward them on this. I will always watch them. I have to just at least have an opinion. You know, whether yeah. it be as a critic or as a Marvel fan, I sure. I just, I love Marvel stuff. But I, mine started with X-Men. That was my yeah. thing. I yeah. and, and it actually started with action figures. I went into, like, you know, Target or something, and I found uh, a Colossus... And I found a Nightcrawler, and I thought they were so badass looking, dude. And and I had I remember I had those two, and then later I got I started watching the animated series around the same time, same time, and I loved Gambit, all the animated series, Gambit, Wolverine, like all of them. Wolverine actually was never my favorite. I, I, yeah. I he was all my friends' favorites, but I was sure. always Colossus. Put metal all over my body, or like yeah. you know let me like poof in and out. I played the video games like on Sega Genesis. I played the X Men game. Um, and I would always, I would always play um, uh, Nightcrawler because he could bamf through stuff, you know. Right. And I always loved that. So the point is, uh, I grew up loving that. And I used to get comic books. I even got Daredevil comic books from like this antique shop ones that my mom got me. It was like a five part series or whatever. So I had all five of them, and I never really read them. I just looked through them for the pictures. I was like a kid, you know, and I didn't yeah. give a shit about the story, but it looked awesome to me. And then, you know, growing up, I, I was never a Captain America fan. Now, since then, I got back into comic books around 2011 or so, 2013. During that time, was a little loose, but 2013, I really hit it hard again. And I, I read, like, the Winter Soldier series, like 50 issues or something. It's like the whole thing, and it's fantastic. I don't generally like Captain America comics, but that is a fantastic stint yeah. of them. And um, I still, to this day, have only read one Thor Thing. Like I need to go back and 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 um, and read some of those. Uh, so I had nothing when Thor came out. I had nothing, no nostalgia or anything. I, I didn't oh, yeah, know yeah. anything about him. And so my point is, like I grew up loving these. And and to make your point, you know, uh, I always loved Gotham City and Metropolis and things like that because it helped me actually believe it more. Because we yeah. don't have these places and these characters exist there. I just thought they were boring. Now. Now I love Batman. If you read the comics, I think I've read more Batman one-shots or mini-series than any other thing. His comics are great. I mean, they just get the best writers. You know what I mean? But yeah, Superman's yeah. boring shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's gotten better in recent, like, the last decade or whatever, a little more. But, like, pr back in the 90s and shit, I found him so boring. Like, it's not yeah. interesting to watch someone who can literally do anything. So, right. you know, you need, so, but the X-Men had the flaw of living in the real world. They were dealing mm -hmm. with civil rights issues. Yeah. They, they were going to Washington, D.C. They had the, the gray scale morality meter where Magneto is trying to do something good in his mind, but it's yeah. actually bad. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like what he's yeah. doing oh, yeah. is terrible because he's mm -hmm. basically trying to commit genocide against human beings. But it's right. so that his people can survive, right? He's trying to be a champion for his people. And I love the the kind of dichotomy between Magneto and Professor X. I know we're not on the MCU anymore, but my point is sure. um, I loved Marvel. I still do. I still do. Mm -hmm. um, and there's still a lot of them are still my favorite characters. Again, you know, the things you can do with Daredevil, which we still haven't seen cinematically in the yeah. TV series and the Netflix series we did. Um, yeah. But, like, there's a lot you can do with this, like, blind superhero. Like, what a handicap to give someone for them to overcome. Like, what, yeah. what like, conflict that can bring. What kind of interesting, like, villains can you bring to that to 
be able to oppose that handicap, right? And so I think there's a lot to it. I still think the Incredible Hulk also, just a real quick caveat here. I think he's one of the most interesting characters because, at least in the comics, he wasn't able to control these things, right? Now, in the movies, they just started recently letting him kind of control it. And um, in the comics, they got to a point where he could kind of control it. Um, But before he could... Like, I always thought, what a great origin story. I wish they would just reboot Hulk, which doesn't make sense in the MCU. And, and right. I, by the way, I love, what's the dude's name? I just spaced his name that does it now. Mark Ruffalo. He's awesome. Yes. I love that dude. So I'm not criticizing the Incredible Hulk now. But what I'm yeah. saying is, he's one of the most underused mm-hmm. Hulk smash things. Yeah. And that's not what the Incredible Hulk is. Think about this. The Incredible Hulk could turn into the Hulk and kill his fucking family and then yes. come back and be a normal Bruce Banner guy yeah. and his family's dead. How does he deal with that? How does he yeah. cope with that at that point? I mean, yeah. I want to see him. Di- and I want to see someone like Darren Aronofsky or something <laughs> like some <laughs> real bummer. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I want this. Not that I want it to be a sad movie, per se, but somebody who's not an action guy. Like, I want I want this to be the Joker or Joker from a couple years ago. Of Incredible Hulk. Like, give us some real weight. Let us spend time with this character and don't just throw in a bunch of action scenes where he smashes shit. He's like one of probably the more boring action people because he just hits shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, you know, uh, I mean, you can make it creative. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, like, I think as an action person, Hulk works better in an ensemble. But like his character, though, man. I would love him to see a plan. I would love to see a Planet Hulk thing, which they kind of yeah. did in Thor Ragnarok, which was disappointing because yeah. I wish that was a standalone thing. But still, um, I'm way off base here. So here's the thing: <laughs> I love Marvel. If you can't tell, I'm like yeah. geeking out about it. I really do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, I love the comics. So I think what Marvel does in theory, whenever I first saw Thor, and I realized, wow, they're making this like a thing. This is by the time I saw Avengers. I was like, in theory, this is really fantastic. You're doing each individual story. Hold on. I had to burp. I have to always tell people that. Anyways, so phase one, you have Iron Man, origin story. They're telling the story. They're developing. They're trying to develop this character. Again, this is all on paper and in theory. I'm not talking about the execution of these films. Just in theory. You know, The idea would be to develop Iron Man, and then you do Incredible Hulk, and you develop Incredible Hulk. And then you further Iron Man's story, and then you establish Thor and and what he does. Then you establish Captain America. And then, like the comics, you have individual series for all these people, but they do Marvel events like Civil War or uh, the Infinity Wars and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, whenever you bring them in there, that's way too many characters to have to get their shit in. But if you've already Mm -hmm. developed them prior then it's not as big a deal to have it undeveloped in this movie because then it would be the popcorn flick, right? It's the one where we're not going to so much develop these individual characters, but they are going to vanquish evil, right? And that makes a lot of sense to me. And then it continues down that path, right? I think in theory, what the MCU does is fantastic. Um, And I can't, I, I just wish more would do it. Like I said, I just talked about Mortal Kombat and that's like a series where I wish they would have just taken this, this thing because I think you can do so why is making a good Mortal Kombat movie so hard I don't understand I feel like you could easily do the thing right anyways I don't need to talk about that essentially like like Enter the Dragon you know with more supernatural kind of elements to it it's like how how do you 
how can you get that wrong? You know, so much, so much, so many times. But yeah. dude, all, all you have to do is this: just make a movie yeah. about Liu Kang right. and Sonya Blade, and mm-hmm. one movie. You can even double them up. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I've already yeah. talked about it, and uh, I'm not going to go off for our listeners. We can talk about it afterwards. But the point is this: in theory, and I've talked uh-huh. way too long about this already. In theory, I love what the MCU is doing on paper, and I think it's a really great business plan. And you're elongating your franchise because you've established these characters. You're going to make millions of dollars. So the capitalist side of this enterprise is like very happy. Uh, Muy bueno or whatever, right? Um, So my my issue with these is a a few things. I'm going to kind of list some of them, but then I'm going to I'm going to go back and kind of touch on one. So uh, one thing is just. Because this is the the money maker, right? Because the whole point of this by the studios is not to just create this long lasting piece of art, right? N- right? Not that every movie has to be. I'm gonna keep doing cap or um, uh, qualifiers like that. I'm not trying to say every film needs to be the fucking Godfather. That's not true. Nor am I going to say by the end of this by any means that these movies did not deserve to be made. Not at all what I'm arguing here. Okay. Right. But these movies have a terrible lack of risk, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing risky in these movies, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a moment. I feel like these the whole series is treated like a commodity, so it's based on nostalgia, and, and it's trying to reach the widest audience to make the most money, but the movies are almost dictated based... They feel to me like they're dictated by that more than actually trying to make the best story or the best movies they can possible. Um, Most of them, because in theory, this should be the best way to develop superheroes. I mean, having individual films that ultimately culminate into like a Marvel event is just the greatest idea. I mean, I really do love it, but I feel like they lack the big D dude development. Like most of them actually like lack developing characters. So by the time you get to these big Marvel events, like the Avengers, they're still not developed. So you haven't earned the chance to have like a billion people on screen. They kill their villains or the villains are so underdeveloped that they don't matter. So you already touched on that with Iron Man. The comedy sometimes works. For example, guardians of the galaxy. It knows what it is. It's a comedy first. Yeah. I mean, that's why whenever they face Ronan at the end, he just starts dancing at him. It's a yeah. comedy. Now, that annoys yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Like, that thing annoys me. But I think, hey, at least it knows what it is. It's consistent at being a action comedy, basically. And that works. Uh, Winter Soldier, Cap 2. It is an action movie. That's what it's, yeah. an action thriller. It's trying to be that. And it's successfully that thing, I think. It feels like any other action thriller. It does that genre well. And that's actually my favorite of the MCU. Um, but these are just, a, I mean, I could keep going on, but just the use of comedy or comic relief a lot of times in so many of these movies makes it so difficult to actually take any of it seriously. And that, that really bothers me. Um, now, they've gotten better with certain things, but I'm kind of talking as a whole. Sure. So I want to talk about the lack of risk real quick. And I wrote out a long thing. I'm going to kind of just read it, and then we will kind of address it together. I'll pass it on to you. Is that all right with you, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I've, I've got a little bit of an answer to it, too, so go ahead. Sure. Um, and, and 
I'm kind of eliminating the idea of studios and money making and audience and and contracts with, you know, I can't kill this person off because they have a contract for three movies or, you know, like I'm not addressing any of those things. Okay. Uh, whenever I say this, um, but we can you're talk talking about like, you're talking about financial and creative risks. Is that what you're saying? More kind of. Yeah. 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 I, I understand that there are certain practical aspects to the behind the curtain stuff that yeah. one would have to take into consideration. Those things mm-hmm. can also change. However, yeah. That's the way they are, and I'm not addressing those. However, we can together if you want to. So sure, sure. Um, I'm going to just go for it. So Martin Scorsese made his now infamous comment about the MCU movies not being, quote, cinema. Okay, Now, which, as a flat statement, is unequivocally incorrect. Okay, These clearly are movies that do take place in theaters often when we're not in a pandemic, um, and sometimes still do anyways. Um, However, the intended meaning behind what Scorsese said, I think, carries a bit more weight. In the follow-up to his original comment, Scorsese said, I said Marvel movies aren't cinema. Let me explain. Cinema is an art form that brings you the unexpected. In superhero movies, nothing is at risk. Now, regardless of how you feel about the entire quote, nothing is at risk is one of my biggest problems with the MCU. These movies very rarely carry any weight. So, Joe, if you're walking down the street and you're not carrying anything in your hands, then you don't have a fear of dropping anything, correct? Because you're not carrying right. anything. Right. So, if there isn't any weight to in a certain film, what's the risk? And why yeah. should I care? Now, this could be, this is partially subjective, I understand. M- mostly subjective, really. But when the first Avengers film was released, I remember the film teasing the death of Iron Man toward the end. And just a few weeks prior, Iron Man 3 was announced, okay? Now, I, this is less about the Avengers movie itself and more about like a look behind the curtain because uh, this sure. movie could have very easily just been uh, a, a prequel or something, right? Like, you know, who knows? But uh, not only... Hold on one second. Yeah, so Iron Man 3 was announced. Sorry, I I've kind of forgot where I was. So... I know that this is less about the Avengers movie itself and more a look behind the curtain, but not only did the film deliver, arguably, nothing but spectacle, comic relief, and prefab characters, which can be entertaining. So if that entertains right. someone, it can be great. I'm not, I'm not criticizing sure. that yet. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but it also didn't carry any weight because we knew Iron Man wasn't in any real danger. Right. Okay. Now, that's not just because Iron Man 3 was announced. That's, it's, that's not the sole reason, though it was one for those of us who keep track of those things. Yeah. But it was also because, you know, the MCU largely doesn't take risks. It doesn't try to be any more creative than it has to be to appeal to the lowest common denominator. Now, please pardon the terribly pretentious and snobby statement, okay? <laughs> I'm going to explain it. Sure. What I mean... Uh, is I'm not saying that if you like these movies, you are the lowest common denominator of moviegoer. That is not what I'm saying. Uh, Because I'd be saying that about myself at that point, because I do like some of these. But, you know, I think we should actually be more upset at the studios who present the films and treat us like we're dumb, like we are the lowest common denominator. Um, I feel... uh, I'll get into lowest common denominator. I'll come back to that later, because that ties into commodities. But... So, for example, with the risks thing, lack of risks, Nick Fury dying in Captain America 2, but not really dying, okay? That pissed me the fuck off, I'll tell you that. I mean, I don't want Sam Jackson to die, 
But wow, I was caught off guard. I mean, yeah. I, I thought, dude, what a risk. They just yeah. like, and what conflict that brings. Yeah. Anyways, War Machine dying from falling out of the sky in Civil War, but he was only paralyzed temporarily until Stark made some legs. All right. Yeah. Um, do you remember, Joe, how it felt when Rachel died in the Dark Knight? This is yes. not an MCU. This is, I'm, yeah. I'm going to a different place here. Yeah. Watching it for the first time, I sincerely thought she and Harvey were both going to be saved, and yet she died. Holy yeah. shit, dude. Think about yeah. how that propelled the plot, how it, effective, how it affected Bruce Wayne over the remainder of the trilogy, and how it was the catalyst for Two-Face's downfall. This was less of a risk because, like, how many people truly cared about Rachel? Yeah. But what yeah. did it do to these characters? You know, imagine, I mean, just uh, like that's that's a huge thing. Or in the Walking Dead comics, which I don't expect for you to have read, but I have. The huh? I have. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. You're actually cooler than I thought. Okay. So Rick Grimes, <laughs> he's not going to die. We don't actually think he will, though there are times where I sincerely thought he might. But, yeah. you know, it's not so much about him dying, but it's about him not being safe. He's yeah. not always safe because by the end, the guy is totally fucked up. He's lost a hand. He can barely yeah. walk. Like, you know, his complete reputation, his reputation exists, but now it's the classic, like, can I live up to this reputation now? And I have to do terrible shit to now live up to it because I have established who I am so that we can survive. There's a lot of conflict there. So back to the MCU, even in Infinity War, when the blip occurs, I never in a million years felt weight to that. Yeah. Because I knew that it was immediately going to be reversed in the next film. And it was. Not right. only do these films lack a semblance of risk, but Marvel, a.k.a. Disney, reinforced it by doing the thing that I yeah. knew was going to. Like, had it not been reversed, I probably would have been like, oh, shit. Like, okay. Yeah. But it was. My yeah. expectations were met, unfortunately, right. in that situation. Yes. Does the lack of risk bother you or or yeah. or is it so nostalgic for you or do you just enjoy the experience so much that you just overlook it? I mean, where do you stand on this? Yeah, that that's more what it is for me is I I just overlook. I I don't I don't necessarily feel like I always have to have that kind, you know, that kind of thing. That kind of thing worked, you know, as you said it definitely worked in the dark night. Um, and you know, and it definitely works in, in some movies and, and it is a, it is a very valid criticism of, of Marvel that, you know, nobody really stays dead that, you know, I mean, Black Widow died in, you know, Avengers Endgame and she's, she's the very next movie coming out. So, uh, but that one is, that one is a prequel. So, you know, uh, you know, presumably they're not just going to bring her back to life. Um, and it was, but it was the nature of that Infinity War slash Endgame arc you know yeah. it was the nature of that that they're not going to um you know it's not going to stay that way sure and you know and then the heroes ultimately will restore it but um yeah i mean i i can't yeah i can't argue that too much you know other than to say that was you know that's valid even you know even um you know vision in infinity war he stayed dead in endgame but you know he still is alive in one division he comes back in yeah. some form so they can continue to have, you know, those characters even after they're essentially dead. 
you know, they can still have them not. <laughs> so, you know, so there, you know, there is that and that's, that's valid. And I, you know, I, I share that in some, some, to some degree, but no, but I, I think, you know, to your point, I, I am able to overlook a lot of it, especially in the winter soldier. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Nick Fury's death. That was his, you know, that, that was meant to be twisty anyway. And he was, you know, that was there. I, I think, you know, if you want to look into it, Agent Coulson's death in the Avengers is, you know, is cheapened a little bit by the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series where they, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, we took him to, uh, I can't remember, the, the Caribbean or something. I don't know, there's some island or something. Yeah. He went to South America. I don't remember even what it was now. Um, and they brought him back to life. And then, and now he's back on the show and yada, yada. And I was like, oh, that's kind of stupid. Um, because his Avenger, because his, in the Avengers, his death, was so way his his death was that moment right it was that Rachel Dawes moment um in that movie that that changed everything when he was you know he was a secondary character that was there and but he was but he was loved enough that when he died it meant something and then you know they undo it in the next movie or you know well not even the next movie did you know but we're just going to develop this tv show and yeah. throw him in there um you know and and they could have just as easily have done done that as you said as a prequel you know, had agents Dude. of shield prequel rather than doing that. Why isn't that just think about how off-putting or not off-putting? Sorry, mm -hmm. that how how that could really just like set you on a different track. Imagine yeah. if Iron Man died in the first Avengers and Iron Man yeah. three was already ready and it was a prequel. Right. Why yeah. can't we just do that? If you have ten movies for a person, write the fucking best story you can. There are yeah. always ways around it. Right. Like, dude, yeah. I, I'm 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 gonna say this. If you if you need me to write you five to seven movie bullet points like a beat sheet, yeah, and they just all need to intertwine, that's not fucking hard. I'll tell you that right now. The script writing is. I I don't I don't right. have a right. I have no problems putting over the script screenwriters, even though I think most of their scripts suck. It's like, yeah. dude, that shit's hard. I dude, yeah. I do not, especially when you have a studio with their thumb pressing down on you and you have three other writers you have to work with, or or yeah. or yet you, you know that you're gonna pass it on to the studio and they're gonna give it to someone else, or however, whatever the relationship between the writers is. Um, right. like dude, I, I totally get that, and I don't mean to diminish the responsibility of the writer. But in terms of just creating stories that overlap, like sometimes that's people's arguments for why it's so impressive. And it's yeah. like, do you need me? I can do that for you. I could right now spitball how Mortal Kombat could be a billion times better over like five movies. Sure. Like just the, the ideas don't, it's just not. Yeah. I, it's uh, just frustrating. But yeah. the Captain America thing you were saying though, with, with the, the Winter Soldier, um, yeah. it, still, it still bothers me because there still tends to be like, man, you just teased like a really weighty thing. With yeah. with Nick Fury dying, and then you cop out. But you're right. You're right. It, it, it they do at least spin it in the story to make sense, and I at least appreciate that, which is why it is my favorite MCU movie. It's actually I'm looking at it now, my number eight on my all time favorite superhero movies thing. So that's pretty high. Yeah. Now now in my top twenty, there are only six MCU movies, but <laughs> um, but still that one is pretty high. That's still yeah. like the target to beat for me. Um, but please, if you had anything else to say about the risks, please, I, I want you to finish. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. you no, know, I I do. There's there's two things I want to talk about as as far as the risks go. Um, taking a risk is, you know, what traditionally in a franchise, 
there's, and this is the big knock on, this was the big knock on sequels in general, you know, forever, is that they, they are all essentially the same movie and that you don't, you don't typically find in a fran within a franchise, you don't find a lot of variants within the franchise, right? Like, you know, you go from, you know, the, you know, if you go from Austin Powers to, you know, Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me, the only thing different is the jokes, you know, even remember, you know, it's like there's a couple of different characters, but otherwise it's most of the jokes that are different. You know, and if, if you go to just your basic action franchise, it's essentially the action hero blowing up just somebody else, you know, Die Hard, you know, is just a different group of bad guys. And, you know, but otherwise most of it is, you know, pretty similar from a story point of view. Here they, they've had to, you know, they bounce genres, you know, a lot, you know, as we've talked about, but even within even within the franchise, um, even with, within Iron Man, Iron Man three is a pretty big departure from the first two. It is. Uh, I mean, you Thor feel Ragnarok. you definitely feel that John Favreau switch to Shane Black for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and um, you know, and they and they had that big setup. You know, the it, it and it was pretty. I I'll just say it was pretty ballsy. No matter what you think about, you know how why they did it, but faking the Mandarin the way they did was was a pretty ballsy move because that was the bad the one iron man villain people are like we need to see this we can't wait to see it and then here they they start you and they tease you and then they're like ha ah, he's just a fake the you know his whole thing's a fake and and it pissed people off and you know and i i actually enjoyed that a, a bit they but that certainly you know you can criticize that movie you know if you want um and rightfully so maybe but it was something that they did that was different and they were doing something, you know, with a, with a different thought in mind than your general, let's just crank this movie out. Here's the Mandarin. He's a bad guy. He does the blah, blah, blah. And then Iron Man does blah, blah, blah. It's no, they, they did, you know, use that misdirection and, and revealed who the real villain was. And it was, you know, whatever you think about it, it was, you know, something anyway, <laughs> it was a risk. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was risky to some degree. Um, and if you think about also Thor Ragnarok, you know, the, it would have been easy for them to make now, you know, now you can, you know, you can argue back if you want, and I wouldn't probably fight you too hard on, on what their chances of success were given um, how Thor, the character Thor was in the Avengers movies versus how he is in his own movies. Um, but the first two are relatively dry, you know, in terms of character Thor is not the, you know, the joke cracking, you know, PTSD afflicted character that he becomes later on. He's just this, you know, he's very much the, uh, what they call, what did it, um, Iron Man call him in the Avengers? He called him point break for one, but he, called, <laughs> you know, you know, just think that in, but you know, they're, you know, Shakespeare in the park, like it's not Shakespeare in the park by, by Ragnarok. It's by this time they're, they're switching it up and they turned it into a buddy comedy. You know, it was like Thor was in a buddy cop movie basically and with the Hulk and it's, it, it was different and it was silly and, um, but it's still, and it, it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't the story Ragnarok could have been, but it was something that they did differently yeah. as a departure when the first two were, you know, I mean, the first two are two of the weaker ones for me, but the weaker Marvel movies for me, but they, it was still, a successful formula, so to speak, that yeah. they stepped out on. So, um, so there, there was, you know, I would say there's but, some, but yeah, well, I want to say this about the Thor Ragnarok thing. This is why I don't yeah. see it as a risk. Okay. This is yeah. why I think this is a really safe move. When yeah. did Deadpool come out? 
Do you know? Yeah, it came, they came out right around the same time. Uh, was it 14? Uh, Deadpool came out in 16. Yeah. And then Thor Ragnarok came out in 17, okay? Okay. Yeah. So, um, and I'm not I'm not only talking about Deadpool. Uh, Iron, the success, easy for me to say, the success of uh-huh. Iron Man being the wisecracker, right? Um, you know, even Captain America, who is not a wisecracker, but he is the butt of jokes, right? right. A lot of times because he's so stoic. Um, you know, it, it seems really safe to me because people enjoy, especially after Guardians of the Galaxy, they want, they are, they find this formula of allowing things to be comedy mm-hmm. as being acceptable. So turning Thor into a comedy because he was this, again, another stoic, you know, fantasy yeah. movie guy, right? Fantasy, no matter what, if you're on fantasy worlds dealing with fantasy, that will always be too niche for blockbusters okay unless you're like lord of the rings which is just like the star wars of novels you know what i mean um so i don't know like i and and risks also are not just like plot points you know i don't need people to die to be a risk or i don't need people you know nothing like that it's it's even more just in tone like i think joker was a risk you know i mean you have a it's not a superhero movie by any means, in my opinion, but you have a superhero related movie that has no superheroes that has nothing. It is not that formula. This feels like taxi driver, King of comedy meets fucking, I don't even, I don't know something else. Like, it's just like, you know, it's not superhero movie. Yeah. Not at all. And it was like super successful. You know what I'm saying, and and I I don't need every movie to be Joker. I don't I don't want every movie to be Dark Knight. I don't want every movie to be the Sam Raimi Spider Man movie. Like I'm not trying to say that these movies should be in a specific way, but I would love to see more of a dynamic emotional aspect to these instead of like busting a John Ford and feeling like you have to comic relief us all the time because you're afraid we'll get too sad. Like, let me right. fucking feel something. Like the emotional spectrum. And for listeners, I'm holding my fingers about four inches apart. It's like this is the spectrum of emotional, yeah, like the emotional depth or whatever, right? And even when someone dies, of course, there are exceptions to that, but even when someone dies, often that emotional moment is only for the extent of that scene. And then the next yeah. scene is like Tony Stark being a witty asshole or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I just can't follow that. I just don't, it feels like messy and lazy to me. And it makes me feel like they're treating me like an idiot, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, I don't have the emotional intelligence to figure out how to kind of deal with the fact that one of my favorite characters is about to die or something right. like that. Just like, let me fucking feel something. And I feel yeah. like the films that have lasted the test of time have also done these things and ended up successful. Yeah. Now, you talk, you know, I'm going to ask you a, a broader question real quick. Sure. Do you have a favorite villain in the MCU? Do you think like so, not just your personal favorite, but the one you think is honestly the best? Yeah, um, I mean it's it's I mean it's got to be Loki. You know, Loki. It's got to be Loki. Yeah, yeah, because he's because he's the back and forth. You know, he's he's Thor's partner at times. You know, through you know through a lot of the, the Thor movies, and then you know yeah, but he's still. Obviously, as a scoundrel in, in a horrible yeah. way. He, I mean, th- I thought Thanos was a great villain, you know, for yeah. those two movies. I would but, say 
partially wasted. And I'll come back to that because I liked Thanos mm-hmm. in the last two. I did. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people bitched. We'll, we'll get to that. Anyways, Loki, <laughs> I have literally, I was like, Loki is great because, yeah, yeah. oops, I just hit my mic, because he has time to be developed. He's mm-hmm. the Magneto, right? Like, you know, Magneto is another one for X-Men that I have. You know, like Magneto's the guy that sometimes is on the side of good, sometimes on the side of bad. In D&D, they'd be chaotic neutral, meaning <laughs> like whatever they feel like is where they yeah. land, like whatever they believe is where they land. And so like, you know, I'm hyped about this Loki TV series. I just watched the trailer for the first time yesterday, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, that's cool. Like this looks cool and it's going to be Loki and they're going to build them more. And yeah. so like... You know, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, and by build them more, I mean, like, explore that character more. So, yeah. you know, I just think Loki's great because of that dynamic of good and bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike you, the first Thor movie uh, is actually in my top, tw- it's in my top 15, actually, um, because of its narrative. Yeah, it looks like a video game sometimes, because, <laughs> like, this is, like, the early MCU special effects, and they weren't putting yeah. quite as much money into, like, the first yeah, run of dark. characters. Um, but like, it was a fucking kick-ass Shakespeare fantasy movie. You know what I mean? And, and I actually hated it for like the first 40 minutes until Thor is humbled by not being able to lift Mjolnir. You know what I mean? And then his character starts to take shape. And I just really appreciated that. Even if I'm not entertained by the action, even if I find something silly, there's a narrative here I can chew on, right? This is fucking King Lear, right? This Uh is, this is something where we're dealing with Thor we're dealing with Loki, we're dealing with Odin, we're dealing with, you know, Asgard and all, all of the threats involved. And yes, there's some on Earth that they have to come to Earth for, but most of it is still dealing with, like, this fan- fantastical aspect that really is the core of Thor. Um, and so, like, with, with those movies, uh, with that one movie, I hate the Dark World, <laughs> but, like, uh, but with that one movie... Uh, I don't know. There's just like the narrative itself, just the writing. And who who better than Kenneth Branagh to direct something like that? It's not going to be the biggest action spectacle by any means. And quite frankly, yeah. you don't even really need an uh, exclusive villain there because Loki takes both roles. He takes places like the brother, but you have the evil son, the good son, and the father. You know what I mean? Sure. So uh, like I think Loki's fantastic is my point. You know, uh, take X-Men, for example. Again, you know, Magneto's great, but guess what else they don't do? They don't fucking kill Magneto. That's something they don't do. Um, You know, Batman in the Dark Knight trilogy, they don't kill Scarecrow or the Joker. Now, unfortunately, Heath Ledger died, but they don't kill him. And if Heath Ledger hadn't died, both of them would have been in the last movie, too. You can do a whole lot of shit by not blowing your load too quick and killing everybody. I hate that. Or just getting yeah. rid of them. Why can't they just escape? Mm-hmm. Why is that so hard? I know they do it yeah. sometimes. But like by just like murdering everybody, you're wasting their characters. So back to Thanos here. I like Thanos, especially in Endgame. I find it really interesting that he's uh, like secluded on this planet living like basically as a farmer or something, you know, like he's just this normal dude. You know what I mean? Um, I I really liked that actually. Um, And I liked that. uh, Who ended up murdering him? I forget. Yeah. That's what what I thought. That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. 
I actually love that too. And part of me wishes, see, the story doesn't work if he had stayed. I understand how it works and, and I'm totally yeah. fine. I actually really love Endgame. And by yeah. really love, I mean, I gave it a four out of five, but I, I really do. That's a lot of love because sure most enough. superhero movies don't get over a three for me. So, I mean, that's like a lot of love for me. Sure, but sure. Um, I like him. But here's the thing. Back to consistency we were talking about. Mm-hmm. My only issue with Thor is I feel like because I think Ragnarok's cool. I fucking hate comedy like mm-hmm. the beginning of Ragnarok where he's hanging upside down. And right. he like he's just slowly spinning naturally. And then yeah. when his back's to him, he's like, wait, hold on. And you just hear like the yeah. creaking of ch- that's fucking stupid. How am I yeah. supposed to take yeah. any of this any remotely seriously? And this isn't even like comedy moment yet. Like it's one yeah. thing for like to have the buddy cop comedy formula with like these two superheroes. Like that's I thought Thor and Loki was funny, and I thought Thor and Hulk was funny. Like that's great. But man, there's a time and a place. Fucking establish something first before you start putting stupid shit in it. But either way, I do like the movie, regardless of just like (laughs) digging into it. And my thing with Ragnarok, though, is it is this departure. And to me, and this is my opinion, it feels like a departure in order to give him more character based on what has made them money so far. So it feels like a commodity choice again. And what bothers me about that is it's also inconsistent with the Thor we've seen the whole time. Yeah. Thor is the godlike. He is the god version of Cap. Like he's the yeah. super serious like guy. But but the difference between him and Captain America is Captain America and Iron Man are the ones at odds often because they deal with Earth all the time and they have different opinions on how to handle these situations. Thor right. doesn't have to pay a f- fucking bit of attention to Earth. He has yeah. no reason other than Natalie Portman, you know, right. to, to like give yeah. a shit about our planet. Right. <laughs> right. And I love that. Like, why can't we explore other worlds? Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy does it great. That's one of the things I actually like about it is mm-hmm. that it goes into other worlds and we don't have to fucking see New York explode for the 400th time. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I agree with you. You and I have talked about this before. The DC movies often lack. There are a few decent ones. But often they're they're not great, and they don't really surpass decent, right? But right. one thing I gotta give them with Batman versus Superman, which is the abomination of the ages, is yeah. at the very least, at its core, it is addressing the horrors that superheroes bring to the societies yeah. that they protect. This is yeah. why, yeah. and what a great conflict to bring Batman in for, because Batman then sees Superman as the villain. Because he's killing people's families by shooting them through buildings and obliterating people. Yeah. That is great conflict to me. What an ex. Now, the movie's horse shit. But wow. I mean, like, <laughs> wow. Like, how great is that? And wow. so you, so taking that further, and I know I'm, I'm kind of bogarting this. I, I want to get away from this because I, I want you to talk here in a second. But, um, you know, Civil War, for example, I know you love that. I can see you have the poster in the background, right? Yep. I like Civil War. I think Civil War, where is that on my list here? It's number 15 for me okay. of, of all time, not just MCU, but all the superhero right. movies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I enjoy it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a lot of issues with it, but it is an entertain. So back to entertainment versus like good filmmaking, right? Because I think those are two different things. Um, like I am entertained by that movie. But, like, 
here are some issues that come out of this, both with whether it be uh, like, I like that there's really not much of a villain there because the whole idea is the contesting groups fighting one another, the big Marvel event. I totally get that. Um, I think there are some development issues here, uh, but it feels like an Avengers movie. Okay. (laughs) Like, like this is an Avengers movie, but it's, it's called a captain America movie. And And because of that, I give this a pass, though it bums me out. Because it definitely takes the side of Captain America. Like, definitely. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's a Captain America movie. That makes sense. I totally get that. I can't really argue that. But the whole idea... Did you ever read the Civil War Marvel series, the comics? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One thing, because I don't think they're great, nor do I think most of the Marvel events are great, but they're like entertaining. They can be fun to read if you like Mm -hmm. the characters and stuff. And the thing about Civil War is I would be reading like the first issue or something and I'd be like, yeah, fuck Iron Man, like Captain America all the way. And then the very next issue, I'm like, yeah, fuck Cap, dude, like Iron Man's spot on. (laughs) Like they genuinely had me because it wasn't a fucking Cap comic. It was Uh just a Marvel event. And they had me constantly switching back because their arguments were valid for both. Yeah. And so it's like, I guess... I'm not so much criticizing Civil War as much as bring up a point. I guess I would like to see more complexity in those. And mm-hmm. and being able to develop, like, again, that didn't have villains and stuff, which is what I was focusing on, uh, per se. But, you know, even in the comics, Iron Man ends up j- joining the government, of course. So does Spider-Man, which is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. But in the comics... Iron Man ends up employing and the government ends up employing villains. Yes. For the government to take out people like Captain America. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And like, then Captain America has to respond in kind, right? That was, I remember that being, that was, yeah, there, there is a lot of that complexity. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no, you, no, you're fine. No, you're, yeah. you're, yeah, it, it, but I, I am 100% all four movies being different than comics. So the whole, anytime I bring up comics, I'm just bringing up more that this was an easy thing to just do. I don't know why this had to change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I don't know, man. I feel like I'm just getting really like kind of discursive because I have so much I want to say. There's a lot. Yeah, there's but, a lot. Like, do you have a problem with like the villains just being wasted or are lame or just them killing them off? And it's like, well, uh, you know, we don't get to, it's like Age of Apocalypse, the X-Men movie. What a fucking just complete yeah. horseshit movie. Yeah. Apocalypse is a fucking god, basically, dude. Right. Why is yeah. he just dead? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, is that, yeah, like probably true. as powerful, if not more powerful, than Thanos. And we yeah. get like eight movies with Thanos at the very least at the end, like setting him up. And you just oh. fucking kill Apocalypse Fox. Come on. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but give me your thoughts, like on the villains idea and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's well, um, and and I want to, you know, I want to, I do want to jump into to Civil War too. That please do. I said a whole lot, so comment on whatever yeah, no, you yeah. want. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and you know, and I'll just like I'm just going through the. Let's just go through the list here. Um, you know the the villains that they killed off. I'm trying, you know. I mean, I, I don't know if I want to do this. You know what, Malekith in the Dark World, they killed off, right? Um, uh, uh, Abomination didn't get killed off in, in Hulk. Loki didn't get killed off in Thor. Red Skull got killed off. Um, yeah, and, and that was that. Uh, that was the one disappointment. One big disappointment for me was Red Skull. Red Skull, off because he 
yeah, he was so much more important. And isn't you know, that the, him though in Endgame? Yes, and and in, yeah, in Infinity War and Endgame, he's the guy guarding the um, the um, which one is it? Well, he's guarding one of the stone on the mountain. He's the one yeah. guarding the stone on the mountain, and and which which is really interesting. Which was really a fun and interesting way to do it. But what could he have added to the MCU as you know as a returning villain? You know, as coming back and being more of a like a lead, like a Doctor Doom type, or you know. Correct. You know, be, because and that that is something they denied them. You know, uh, see Yellow Jacket. Did Yellow Jacket die in Ant Man? I don't remember. Either um, way, oh, he was he was lame and horseshit. I don't yeah, want to see yeah, him he again. Wasn't that great a villain anyway. We, we wouldn't even care to have Ultron gone. Which yeah. they did Ultron, some great with him, but still, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, Guardians um, of the Galaxy I mean, was Ronan. He didn't he didn't die right. He was in the later ones. Or did um, they kill Ronan? I forget. No, no, he died. Yeah, he died because he got the stone blew him up. The stone, oh. It's because they go back in time and end game and he's there. That's why I was yeah, confused. That's why, yeah, that's why there. You're right. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Ultron, they could have come up with something. You know, they could have said there was a piece of code or something that, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of these are that that's the thing, you know, is that you know, Killmonger was is an excellent villain. Um Doctor Strange was villain wasn't that great. Um yeah, so I mean they they're kind of a back and forth. I mean, they're not as many of them quite died. I think as as you would just think that they're just dead and gone. But real quick um, though, the, the think of like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I understand yeah. that it's Homie's dad. Like I get the right. conflict there. But right. if you are with a straight face going to tell me that shit was developed and had any level <laughs> of like substance or meaning, and yeah. I don't hate uh, that movie because it's funny because it's yeah. a comedy. Yeah. But the last third of the third act of that movie does not feel like a comedy. So yeah. it's like, it just sucks in my opinion yeah. Um, yeah. because they didn't do anything with it. Homecoming, same thing with Spider-Man. What a wasted. Yeah. I mean, villain I mean, it, there. It was still alive at the end of that movie. Correct. You know, yeah. But like, do I even like, these aren't Loki and winter soldier, right? And yeah, not do it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't have to be mind you, but right. I would love yeah. to see some of them just have more weight. Like, why do I fucking care? Dude, when, when you're watching Spider-Man homecoming, right. And I believe that's the one that, that has, um, what's the actor that played the original Batman. Why can't Michael I, Keaton. Yeah. Why can't I think of these people's names right now? <laughs> Michael Keaton. I mean, not the, well, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Shut up. So, uh, the Tim Burton ones. So in Spider-Man homecoming, he's the bad guy though, right? He ends up getting the suit cause his yeah. homies get laid off and all that stuff. So, like, you know, just there are uh, several scenes with him and they still don't do anything for him. Yeah. Part Mm -hmm. of me wishes they would treat it like um, it's it really sucks because we don't have enough truly like really great superhero like movies, not ones that we like, but I mean, movies that really work like conceptually both like in execution. So, you know, you have like the Batman begins, right? What I love about this is it focuses on Bruce Wayne 100% and only establishes with Scarecrow what he needs to further. He's a plot device, but it feels that way from the beginning. All -hmm. of this is just an excuse to get Bruce Wayne from, you know, the Ninja Hill all the way to Batman, right? That's the entire purpose of the origin. They're not trying to build Scarecrow. But guess what they don't do? They don't fucking kill him. 
So he can come back in the third one and still be a threat. But you know what else, though? He actually feels like a threat in the first movie, I would argue. And he feels like someone bigger and badder than he is. Take X-Men First Class or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you have Kevin Bacon's villain, right? Uh I hate that guy. Every None of the scenes with him develop him to be anything other than token bad guy. He's right. not he's not Shaw, Benjamin Shaw or whatever the dude's name is. He or Sebastian Shaw, that's his name. He's yeah. not that guy. I think that was him. Now that I'm thinking of it, I'm starting to second guess the villain, but the point is, that's kind of my point. Like yeah. he's no different than any other bad guy. Right. And I feel like a lot of these MCU guys, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Homecoming, um like all like Thor Ragnarok was really interesting. They didn't really so much have like I mean, they did have a villain by the very end, but I, what I mean is, like, on the other planet where they're slaves and shit, there yeah. there wasn't, like, so much a villain, but you didn't need it. Like, you're just telling, like, a cool story. And I feel like a lot of times the the structure you were talking about earlier, where they all kind of have, they're kind of the same movie with different people and a few different conflicts, right? But they all kind of fit. I appreciate the consistency to some degree, yeah. but at some point, too, you're just wasting like some honestly and this would be a controversial statement i'm sure but some of these movies probably don't even need a villain right like you can have some people to make action scenes (laughs) you know what i mean but you probably don't even need to waste one of the big guys or have someone i dude i'm actually gonna make a ninja turtles reference you ready like (laughs) you know make someone like the head of the foot clan or whatever and the first movie is just the fucking foot clan attacking him and the yeah. second movie is where the big bad comes. Like, why can't we establish villains that matter anymore? Yeah. Uh-huh. Only yeah, very well, rarely, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and my, my argument to that would be, you know, in the Avengers, it was, I mean, Loki was the, was the guy, but yeah. it was the Chitari that was the cannon fodder, right? That's who they're fighting. Most yeah, of them. That was That's the action sequence guy. Yeah. That worked well. But but Loki, even in that movie, Loki was working in service of Thanos. Correct. So Thanos was always that looming big bad. Correct. And then, you know, and of course, you know, he had his little cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy. And he, you know, he appeared in what, in credit scene or two here and there. And then, but by the time Infinity War came around, we knew that he was the big badass that, you know, was coming. But then he was that guy. He ended up becoming that developed character that, you know, that had, you know, he had a real motivation and you know there you know there's even that kind of movement where they're like you know Thanos is, is kind of in a sense he maybe he's doing something good maybe he's doing the Lord's work you know what with you know trying to make these tough decisions that people have to go you know and of course you know of course you're like well you know he's a lunatic and it's like why didn't he just double the resources in the universe and it's like I don't have the answer to that but you know he he has his motives aren't necessarily selfish in nature you know his his motives are you know a more harmonious universe and that's that's a cool concept you know that uh you know that his his drive was such that he's and and he didn't even you know to the extent he didn't care about his own life even he was that he was that character but do you feel like that was actually developed prior to infinity war and especially endgame do you think that was i i understand that he was a developed Villain, and I do. I don't mind Thanos. I think he was one of the better ones. But do yeah. you, do you actually feel like he was anything more than just an almighty evil presence I'll, until those I'll two say, movies? I, I will say. I will say. Admittedly, no. And this is why. 
the um, Thanos in the comics was in love with the character Death. And that was like, that was a big part of his motivation. Now, I don't remember that story in full to, to give you all the details, but I know that the Death, I think it was, it may have been Hela or someone, you know, like in the similar, like a character that was similar to her, Yeah. Uh, you know, from, from Thor Ragnarok. Um, it may have been that. Um, I don't remember for sure, but the the line in from his uh, in credit scene in the Avengers was um, was very clearly a reference to that because um, the you know the his henchman guy has said something about to challenge them is to court death, and then he turns his head and smiles, and and that's like the big tease, right? That hey, Thanos is coming. That's not the character that we got. You know, that's not the Thanos we got who who had you know, who had that yeah. motivation. So I, my thought was originally they were going to go somewhere closer to that. And by the time they got to Infinity War, they were like, oh, you know, hey, I don't know, it might be complicated too yeah. much. And they, and they moved it along, you know, and just developed him. But you know how they could know, have developed those things? What's that? In the fucking end credit sequences that <laughs> half the time they just try uh, to advertise the next movie. Right. Um. Yeah, dude, but I, so you pinpointed my thing, because I agree with you, like, this should, there are a lot of Thanos critics out there, Thanos would never do, like, this is silly, I actually think the way it's executed is silly, I just find it entertaining, (laughs) like, that's my subjective, like, Uh, you know, preference, I guess, because I just, I, I, in reality, I don't buy that Thanos is actually doing this selflessly, like, I just don't buy it, if there was something like that, like, what you're describing from the comics and stuff, like maybe I would, uh, but it, that that's kind of like as I said earlier, the big D, right? Like developing these things in a way, and and just like sticking by them. And but again, it comes back to like the commodity thing and and the money. Like, do I expect them to like waste money on a movie that they know the last one didn't do well and people don't want that thing? Well, of course they're not going to. But yeah. it is kind of a bummer whenever you know that money is the thing that is ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, directing these things. So let me interrupt and I'll, I'll I'm going to read something real quick to you that I, because uh, I, I, as I told you before, I had to write out a lot of my thoughts because I didn't want to just ramble, even though I've failed and rambled a lot. <laughs> but um, you back, I, I put a pin in the lowest common denominator statement earlier and I want to uh-huh. bring that back. Capitalism sure. is about making money, essentially. I'm talking in the most simplistic general terms. Uh-huh. And the studio system is a capitalistic enterprise. Therefore, they want their movies to make the most money they can first and foremost. Now that's just the thing. Uh, therefore you have to appeal to the widest audience possible. And this process often leads to watering down the substance, the heart, the real conflict, etc. So you can literally give the bare minimum you need mm-hmm. in terms of plot, like shoestrings tying mm-hmm. together these big action set pieces or these things that people want for the entertainment value. Okay. Yeah. You don't appeal to the hardcore cinephiles you're hoping that if you cast the net too wide, you'll also capture them, right? But also, yeah. you're going for the people who only want the entertainment. They just want this to be an entertaining thing. And that's fine. I think there's room for movies like that. But mm-hmm. uh, these these films often are shells of better ideas. The concepts are fantastic. A lot of these are really, really good uh, concepts. But the bare minimum necessary is established to construct a semi-coherent story, often by the end. So filmmaker Ken Loach said, 
that these movies were boring. That's his opinion. And that they had nothing to do with the art of cinema. Now, here's his quote. They're made as commodities like hamburgers. (laughs) And it's not about communicating. uh, And it's not about sharing our imagination, he said. It's about making a commodity which will make a profit for a big corporation. Okay, now that's like, I I probably wouldn't quote that, right? But um, the they are treated as commodities like hamburgers. Is though I might not go so far to use that analogy. I often do feel that way when I watch these. It feels like, all right, we're gonna create a whole movie just to give you maybe twenty minutes in this movie, maybe ten. That will honestly often tie into an Avengers movie later, but we're going to turn yeah. this into a whole film where we don't actually develop anything else. It's just yeah. the stuff you want to see, the action, you know, the love interest, the whatever, the whatever. But then we're going to have like a Tesseract in there j- just to like tie it in. And this will like yeah. propel the Avengers story forward and then we'll yeah. move off and then go defeat the the really lame villain that's in this movie or whatever. Yeah. And I, I just... just does it ever feel that way to you? Again, I know that you have the nostalgia behind it, and I know that you're a fan, and I don't mean to just like trash talk or yuck your yum or no. however you want to put it, but like, does the commodity aspect, do you ever feel that? And does it bother you? It, it doesn't. And let, let me tell you why. And this is why, this is why I, I'll even disagree with his statement. Um, is that, and, and I think a lot of this is maybe this is a common way, a common thing that people, you know, where they go wrong, is that the, the single movie isn't even necessarily the entire arc of a character. If you look at, you look at our central characters in this franchise, Captain America and Iron Man, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, Tony Stark and Iron Man is a completely, at the beginning of Iron Man is a completely different character, completely different. He's gone through a massive journey. You know, he went through, so he goes from, so from, you know, Iron Man, he's a a weapons maker, industrialist type, you know, playboy, you know, rich guy, he makes you know makes the iron man suit which the government then wants he he struggles with them he argues with them he dismisses them says no you can't have it uh this is mine suck it get lost whatever you know he he completely throws them off by the time the avengers comes and he goes through that you know and he has you know so you go to the avengers he has his you know oh my god this is something way bigger than me and then in the next film, he's got PTSD, right? He's dealing with PTSD as the fallout from that. He He's scared of things at that point. That's like, you know, all we've seen is, you know, is confident, cocky Tony Stark. Now he's afraid of things. That leads into Age of Ultron, which he's trying to save the Earth. So now he's, you know, gone from a me, me, me at the beginning of his first film. Now he's trying to save the Earth, screws that up, makes that worse. And then he decides in Civil War to join the government. He becomes that bad guy. And he has, this is, you know, these are all character choices, right? And, and along the way, you know, of course, there's, you know, that that aspect of the sacrifice part where, you know, he gets questioned, you know, Steve Rogers questions him, you know, you're not, you, you're not going to take the, the big shot and sacrifice yourself. And then, of course, he does it in, in the Avengers and lives to tell. And then he does it again in Endgame. And, you know, as we've seen today, you know, did not survive you know that was his big sacrifice that was a huge character arc that, that was massive that was you know that spanned across all the films ostensibly and and um captain america has that kind of parallel you know with, with him where he he's changed from you know the the super patriot 
you know, you know, eager to lay his life on the line for his country in World War II, to someone who's fighting the government, and he he became so much more complex throughout his you know throughout his journey through the Winter Soldier, where you know his his own government, his own organization double crossed him, and it you know made him less trusting of them to where he's like, you guys got to you know back off. That that's what makes all that compelling to me is that it's a there these these two characters um, specifically have this long slow build of an arc that left them both in different places and then at the end of Endgame Captain America arguably makes the selfish self-serving choice you know in you know where he goes you know he's back in the past and he's like hey I have the opportunity to go hang out with both my girls and he chooses to do it and um, you know knowing that that means you know from the time of you know from Endgame's conclusion on he cannot be Captain America essentially so I, I really thought those were great, you know, great long developed characters and even characters like, you know, Wanda, you know, Scarlet Witch had a, a nice arc, especially in the, the WandaVision series, how that extended where they started, you know, to where they went. Um, you know, there's, there's individual beats here and there. A lot of them, you know, a lot of the characters are, you know, wash, rinse, repeat and back where, you know, back where they started at the end or, you know, there's not a big change to them. But, um, but those two, um, like I said, Wanda is like that. I, I would say Buffy is a, another good character that has gone through those changes. Um, so I think there's character development. There's there's more than that. You know, more they're more than just these archetypes sitting there, what's waiting for their next movie. Um, it, Hulk went through a, a change. You know, especially in, I mean that was it was fast and rushed and you know, but it was there. You know. Um, and, and, you know, and it's, I, I see, it is what it is. <laughs> and, and this might be where we disagree, and that's fine. I, I feel like when you lay it out the way you did, it does seem like they have this huge arc, right? And on paper, they do. But I feel like these arcs do not organically exist. It's a, a handful of scenes in a movie that tells you what to think and then moves on to the next one. So whenever you relay it like you just did, you know, we have like the arc, right? But I've never believed that these characters go through this arc. The film just yeah. tells me now I am against the government because they're bad. And that's one scene. And then you move on. And I guess for me, I just want like to feel like these characters are like real humans because they are humans rather than like, you know, for example, I think correct me if I'm wrong. Was the first Civil War like or sorry. Was the first time we see Black Panther? That was Civil War, right? Okay. Civil War, yeah. So after the opening Black Panther sequence, you see Captain America sitting in the funeral. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh And like that one scene changes his whole mind about a thing, right? I I haven't seen this in a while, so I'm forgetting specifics, but you know, you're following me. So he's sitting in this funeral and he like completely rethinks how he wants to address this government situation, right? And then it's just like, like that one scene is supposed to represent everything about this decision that he makes, right? Well, I just, I, mean, I, I don't know because he, he, well, he wasn't the biggest fan of it from the start. I agree. At the start, he, was, he was at best on the fence. And then it was, you know, I, I think Peggy dying made him. It, well, I I felt more like he was on the fence about it. He was troubled. Like if he was going to do it, it was he was going to regret it, and I think he knew that. And then, but then you know, and he, and he Peggy's death 
just was like his reminder that link backward for him to go and he's that he's got to really stick to his principles and that this was going against them. That that was how I felt well, in that. And I agree with everything you just said. Actually, my my issue though does not lie in what you just said. I agree with you yeah. that it that that makes sense. But I feel like a lot of times tonally, these characters just forget where they were, and you. I don't feel like these characters experience, like I don't feel like Steve Rogers experiences that thing until the next scene where the movie's like, we want the audience to know he's dealing with this. Do you get what I'm yeah. saying? Like I don't feel yeah. like these characters actually deal with half of the conflicts in their lives until the movie says this scene is specifically to remind you you need to remember that Tony Stark is dealing with being afraid that Pepper Potts is going to die or whatever. I don't know. I'm making yeah. shit up. But I dude, I don't know. I just have fundamental issues with the structures of these. And and unfortunately, I tend it sucks cuz I tend to be more on the side of the Scorsese's, the Ken Loach's, the Francis Ford Coppola's. But what sucks is I like listen to those statements and I'm like, that sounds pretentious and snobby as fuck. You know what I mean? Like, cause I don't, and nor do they, I think Scorsese's actually point, which he has went on to explain is it's not about these movies are bad or they, they're not his cup of tea. And he's admitted that it's not that they're bad or shouldn't exist. It's that there are like two types of cinema now, right? Like there's, what he calls cinema, which might just be a bad vocabulary, yeah. but what he calls cinema, which are, you know, would be anything like the movies he made, all the great 70s and 80s classics we get, you know, all the way to like There Will Be Blood or, you know, like a lot of Coen Brothers shit, like like stuff that like these filmmaking things, right? Wes Anderson's movies, I bet he would even still consider being in that in that wheelhouse. So it spans all time. But then you get these like huge blockbusters that do feel kind of like money-making shells often. And again, you, you've already highlighted, and I want to be fair, you've already highlighted a lot of ways that these actually do accomplish things. Now, you and I can disagree on how well they accomplish or execute them, but on paper, I agree with you. These things exist regardless. Uh, but but his point is just like, yeah, there, there are two things. If you like them, enjoy them. But these things are not like not these other things. Like there are yeah. two distinct differences. Now, I don't yeah. want these movies to be the Godfather. I don't think they need to be There Will Be Blood. I don't think they need to be uh, Citizen Kane, okay? Yeah. Like any of those like classic cliche examples, Vertigo. This does, These do not need to be that. I don't think they need to be. I don't think they, I don't believe that they should not exist. Of course they mm-hmm. should exist. And they can be just entertainment. That's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. I watched this video today because uh, I, I, I was reading and watching things about both sides of the argument. I already kind of had my opinions, but I wanted to actually get some ideas, uh, you know, for your, like what I assumed would be more of your side on this and then more of mine. But there was one that I was looking at on uh, this guy was talking about why Scorsese is right. Right. And it's not what you think, actually. He details and validates Scorsese's true beliefs while also kind of condemning like, yeah, maybe he didn't word this very well, but this is what he's come out and kind of clarified what he meant by it. Right. And then he goes, instead of telling you about this, I'll just show you. And he shows a scene from like Endgame, right? A big battle sequence, like the big battle sequence where everyone's in peril, right? And right. then it cuts to like, and, and and it's supposed to be this intense moment. It's like, like Spider-Man's about to be overtaken by these enemies and Cap yeah. is about to run and save the day, right? 
and it builds this tension. It's trying to, right? It's a, it's a moment meant for tension. And then he cuts to the Godfather, like this scene, right? The juxtapositions aren't one for one, but still. And it's the scene where Michael Corleone and another one of the Corleone family guys is outside the hospital after Don Corleone was, uh, there was an attempted assassination. And you yeah. see this car pull up and stop right in front of the hospital. And you can see like silhouettes and they're kind of looking at Michael and you see Michael and there's this one note of music, like just one note being held. The tension's thick. You see him yeah. very slowly and kind of sleight of hand, try to unbutton his coat in case he's going to have to like go for a gun. Right. Right. Yeah. Masterful. Yeah. I'm like watching. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like watching this thing. I've seen a million times and I feel, in, I feel tense. Yeah. The yeah. movie is just playing me like a puppet. Right. And then it cuts to another Avengers movie. Uh, and I'm like, I don't feel anything right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I understand right, a lot yeah. of its context. I, I, I don't believe these are good one for ones. But then right. it cuts to the scene, you're a bastard in a basket from like, there will be blood. It plays yeah. out like, you know, 30, 45 seconds of that, which is way more intense than I thought. Like, yeah. you know, like when it's juxtaposed against something else, you're like, oh shit, like this is really intense, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, it shows, uh, but then it shows like, you know, a Wes Anderson scene and it shows like, there's a good variety, it even shows like an inside Lewin Davis scene cut with a variety of different like Marvel MCU movie scenes. Yeah. And I thought that that visual thing was such a great differentiation, not an indictment for either side, not saying that sure. these are bad or good, but literally just like, this is the difference. Like if you don't see right. the difference, sure. agree to disagree, I guess. Cause like oh, sure. there is a distinct difference. Yeah. So I, I can't clarify enough that no matter, and I'm not ready to close up. We have a few more things to talk about. This is just going to be a little more extended. Um, but I just need it to be clear. I don't believe these shouldn't exist. And it's okay that movies can just be entertainment. And that's fine. And I think as just being entertainment, like these can be really thrilling. And I think what bothers me is a lot of these movies, I don't actually think have many merits beyond their entertainment value. And if there's nothing in the film to entertain you, Joe, if there's yeah. nothing in this movie, like Thor, the first Thor, I would argue it has certain merits, but they're not enough merits to really make it phenomenal. You know, I just think they, I think some of its merits make it rise above other MCU, but it's not that it's like the greatest picture ever. So, yeah. you know, if you don't care about the entertainment value that it offers, if it's kind of lackluster to you, why would you fucking like it? Other yeah. than like yeah. the Shakespeare nature of it and the writing's pretty decent. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, nothing I, left I to chew on. Right. Yeah. I, well, and, and this is the thing is, is it's important too to know, you know, these, I mean, I, I would, I, I think saying that they have no merit beyond entertainment value is probably cutting it a little bit short, but, and, and this is why these are, you know, again, keeping, remembering what these are, you know, what comic books have been and, you know, and versus what they are, I guess, to, you know, today they're, undoubtedly more complex in story and in structure and they're they're looking for you know they're they're chasing a more mature audience traditionally they're more they're they are more archetypes you know they are more they were intended to be lessons for kids quote unquote you know they're you know bible stories i don't want to you know i, know I, I don't, don't want to offend anybody by saying that but you know they're there, a lot of them are that, you know, it, on a, on a base level, you know, the Hulk is, you know, the, the price of your anger is, is turning into a destructive monster, you know, Spider-Man is, you know, the, 
you know, the price of being irresponsible or, you know, losing sight of, of your responsibilities and the guilt associated with that. And, you know, and, you know, they're, they're all, they all have those little bits and there's those little bits of story that, you know, and I, I'm not, this is not me going, well, these are just meant for kids and you need to calm down a little, you know, like, no, I know, I know that. Like, I hate, I hate that as an argument to say, oh, a kid's movie should just be super simple. And, you know, but I think these, these plots and the, the, the lessons for the most part, you know, if we're going as a whole on the whole is that they should more or less be appropriate for kids, you know, in the sense that. But what are we talking about with kids though? These are PG 13 movies. I mean, I would let my daughter watch these, but what's the audience they're going for? Sure. Yeah. Well, they're, they're going for, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I would say, 10 to 10 year olds or so maybe to upwards to adults. I mean, they're, they're not they're You're not going to get the same. You're not going to get, you know, as you said, that wide net means they're not going to get that Godfather level of attention. Oh, absolutely. To, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like those, again, those themes I can't undoubtedly are deeper. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can't express enough how much these do not need. Those were exaggerated examples sure, absolutely. to make a point, absolutely. but continue. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, I just, you know, there's, you know, th- it's just things like the, you know, again, like the price of your arrogance, you know, and that's, that was, you know, that's a big part of Thor, you know, um, and that's, that's a lot of those, you know, those kind of smaller individual pieces that, that they come into, uh, you know, for some of these, you know, like, like you said, I, I would, I would argue, I wouldn't argue with you, you know, your point about Thor, that Thor, you know, Thor has that, that story, you know, it's the, you know, the, it's a, you know, the big, you know, as you said, the big Shakespearean-esque kind of story with, you know, these godlike people who, you know, and, and Thor's arrogance, you know, cost him, you know, his, you know, he had to, he had to have, he had to find humility in order to be um, worthy to, to take his place, you know, in destiny. That, you know, that's, those stories are, you know, those stories are old, you know, as old as storytelling itself, right? And that's a lot, what a lot of these are, are kind of these modern day in this case, that they've been modernized, you know, to to tell those types of stories. Um, does that mean they couldn't be more complex, you know, emotionally and thematically? I mean, they could be, but they a you know, billion times could be. <laughs> That's like a fact. And, and you, I don't even think you would lose the audience, even the designated uh-huh. audience. I mean, even like X Men Two, okay? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I would still show my daughter that movie. Sure, like I don't absolutely. really, and she's nine, by the way, but like I, I don't care. Like it, that doesn't, you know, it's not yeah. Logan, which would be like rated R or something, you know, like right. that might freak her out a bit. But like yeah. X two has quite a bit of depth, and the entire point of the movie, going back to like you don't always need a villain. Like yes, right. there is a villain, mm-hmm. but he's not really the point of the movie at all. This is entirely developing Wolverine, dude. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Um, yeah. I, and, and I'm not saying that's the most complex story, but even like Spider-Man two or like the old Sam Raimi Spider-Man dude, uh-huh. like regardless of how people feel about the final product, like the entertainment value of it, like that's totally fair. So I love them, but some people yeah, might uh-huh. not, but like the, the story beats and the writing and him actually having to deal with the fact of, you know, not being able to have a life or love or any of these things. Of course, you know, he does eventually, but uh, it's far better than the Tom Holland Spider-Man's, even though I like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Like, I don't, right. I don't mean that to be, sure. um, uh, to beat yeah. up on him. I, and I want you to finish, but I like they 100% can have yeah. more complex stories. 
Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I agree, and I do agree with that. And I do agree with, with Spider-Man in particular that his movies have his movies got more lost in being comedic and being uh, being an, a, another cog in the machine than it ha- and it hasn't done the character as much service as it as it could have. I I can agree with that, you know, as well. As much as I love, you know, I love those movies. I love what they've done with Spider-Man more or less. But yeah, from yeah from a storytelling perspective. Yeah, his, you know, the the stuff with the the romantic subplot is certainly second, you know, secondary. Um, it, you don't look at his life with the same eye that you did in the original films. That's uh, absolutely. And um, but uh, but again, they're probably well, not again, but they're in this case they're probably looking back at the Amazing Spider-Man films where they kind of tried to double down on that. And it was too much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because because then he comes across as dour and you know and uh, you know even whiny, um, you know. And again, those films are, are what they are. But um, so yeah, so they probably went a little more the other way and made it a little too hot light hard. I would love to see a dark. I would still love to see um, Craven's Last Hunt as a spy as in this universe in this Spider-Man universe, you know, or this MCU. I would love to see that and see what they did with it, but they would probably, they would probably lighten it way up, and that would that would undoubtedly suck because that's probably the darkest Spider-Man story that there is. Yeah, and, and, um, and you know, also just to tie into that though, like sometimes I feel like it's just okay if you had hypothetically, even in the MCU, and I don't believe Disney will ever do this, yeah. but if you just had a rated R Spider-Man movie. Yes, that yeah. does not tie in directly to the Avengers, but is still a part of the canon, like of the sure, character. Yeah. You're well, allowed to make a standalone movie that doesn't have to have yeah. a tesseract in it or something. I, I agree. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that, and I would. And I'd love to see that. And, you know, you. It was. You know, your statement earlier made me think because you said, um, you know, you you mentioned you know killing off the villains or the villains just the villains. You, you know, either way you go, they tend to just disappear. Other than Loki, other than you know a select few. They just tend to, they're in their movie and then they go, you know, like how cool would it have been at some point, even in Endgame, maybe this happens instead of just the giant, you know, faceless alien army that they fought with the monsters and all that, you know, what if, you know, what if the Vulture and, um, you know, some of these villains, Cassilius from Doctor Strange and, you know, all, just all of basically all of the villains from the previous movies came back and they're that army that they're facing off with instead of just these mindless, because you, you are right, you know, whether in any of those Avengers movies, even Age of Ultron, where Ultron was, you know, a legit threat, they're still just fighting generic other, you know, generic others, right? They're the, the Chitauri in the first Avengers movie, um, Ultron in the second, it just literally copies of himself. Yeah. And then, and then in both of the, the Infinity War Endgame, they are those aliens that, you know, again, faceless aliens that they can have kind of, as you said, you know, that kind of bland, tasteless yeah. conflict with. And there's, you but, know. but, you know, also, one, James Spader, great voice for... Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to give yeah. props to Ultron, even if I shit on it a little bit. I don't mind that movie, but I'm just saying I don't really oh, like yeah. it that much. But James Spader is, like, really great. But anyways... Uh, like, for example, I I watched the first episode of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier yesterday. Okay, I've only seen one episode. And one thing that it did right, in my opinion, is it immediately established 
Falcon and Winter Soldier, but Falcon with a very logical conflict aside from his superhero-ness. Yeah. Okay? His family mm-hmm. has been put on the back burner, and now he's trying to figure that shit out. Right. Why can't yeah. heroes have conflicts like this that don't directly relate to fucking Thanos or something? Yeah. They're not right. humans. Uh, yeah, we have uh, other things like paying bills. I understand superheroes. Right. I don't need to sit there and watch, you know, Captain America struggling doing his taxes. Like, I right. don't need to see that. But my point is, there are other conflicts that can happen to develop these characters and make them more well-rounded outside of just exclusively focusing on what the yeah. next Avengers movie is going to be. And yeah. so, you know, like one thing that they did already is they've already established that, you know, um, uh, Winter Soldier hasn't had a date in like 95 years or whatever because the jokes right, is 106 yeah. or whatever. So like he uh-huh. hasn't had like a date in however many years, 85 years. And so, you know, like they're playing with his loneliness and and his like being alone triggers like this kind of P- PTSD response to the brainwashing and shit that he had. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to play out, but in theory, that is so great. Like, because yeah. there's no superhero shit happening with the Winter Soldier at all. He has literally been to a therapist and like went on a date that went terrible. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like that's so good to me because I get to finally care about someone and I don't like the Falcon and I'm not a huge fan of, of um, what's his name? Mackie, Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mackie. I mean, he's a cool dude, like as a person, I'm sure, but like, I, I've just never seen a movie that I particularly love by him and, and nothing, that is no shade thrown at him. Just maybe I haven't seen it yet. I don't know. Um, But like, I even despite not giving a fuck about Falcon, I care more already about him because yeah. he has some character weight of dealing with this family shit. Like uh-huh. that's something I can grab onto. That's logical. That has like real world practical consequences. Yeah. And so like, I wish in terms of development and with all of these things we're talking about, like I wish that that kind of stuff could apply and maybe Maybe having a one-off rated R Spider-Man or something. It doesn't even have to be rated R, but a one-off that does not tie into the rest inherently, but that actually gets into those dark places that could build the character, but also set up in a way where if a kid isn't allowed to see it because their parents won't let them, it won't ruin the overall MCU for them. They can kind of skip that one narratively, but for us that can, it gives us a more mature look at these people's lives. I don't see a problem with that. I understand why Disney would. But like in theory, I don't see a problem with that. Now, here is a thing that I do have an issue with. You were talking about the faceless villains coming out, the the fodder, you know, for the big bad. Like, you know, I'm not one of those people after I remember after Man of Steel came out, the DC movie, um, whenever Zod and Superman are just shooting through buildings everywhere, just destroying the whole place. And a lot of buzz was like came around of like, how many people are these people murdering? Like is Superman a villain, you know? And then what did they do with the sequel to that? They made him kind of the villain. Like that was the whole point. And what a great way for them to kind of spin that again, movies garbage, but like that's, that's a cool way to spin (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. Well that, 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 that idea. Yeah. I I think is, is fair. Just terrible. But anyways, like, you know, I don't feel like the MCU, deal with any of those things very often um like things that you could again that could build conflict now now the destruction of pe- people dying that's a big part of tony stark's uh yes. thing so i i'm not talking about that specifically they yeah. eventually do 
right. get around to kind of thinking about those things, and that's fine. But I'm thinking about watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but realize Falcon is murdering people. Yeah, yeah. Like he's and, straight and up Man killing and, all yeah. of these people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Iron Man and Captain America both in their first in their in their films just straight killed you know many people. Yeah, there there were there were moments in, I mean, and you know, and I mean, Captain America was fighting a war in his first film, but the the two of them, yeah. I mean, Iron Man murdered several people, you know, in throughout, especially the first film. You know, he just went and just like. You know, yeah. he was going into war zone type places. Of course. But he just, just freaking off people like crazy. And Cap, Cap also, even in Winter Soldier, he did. He was just kicking. If you think about that opening scene, he's like kicking dudes off of the ship. And, yep. you know, like like there were people that he killed, like just flat out killed. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And obviously those, you know, that example you're talking about, that's, the, yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Go ahead. So, uh, yeah. Well, no, Um, I, I just find that interesting because for me personally, I find and again, I don't want these to be Dark Knight movies. I'm not trying to get there. Uh, if they can be whatever they want to be, right. um, but like Batman has a code. Yeah. Um, and you know all of the things you were talking about, like well, kids can learn like maybe you need humility to get further like through a certain thing or whatever. But yeah. like that feels to me like Hulk Hogan saying like yeah. drink your milk and eat your vitamins. But it's like <laughs> yeah. then he's like a racist. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, like the plot that's being told by these people is like, to me, kind of being negated by them kind of doing something we would all consider is inherently wrong, which is murdering these people. Now, now one could argue like, you know, death during wartime, you know, has its own rules or whatever, you know? Um, And we all might have our own feelings about that. And the way that the movies get away with it is they're killing bad guys. That's what the thing is. They're good. They're killing bad. We also have to recognize that the MCU is coming out of a post 9-11 era. So Mm -hmm. uh, an Iron Man directly deals with that to some extent. Um, And I've done a whole lot of academic work on post 9-11 cinema. And that was actually what my thesis was uh, for my film history stuff, dealing with more about uh, war movies more specifically. But in researching post 9-11 cinema, you get into a lot of the blockbuster stuff. And so like we see a lot of that in those movies. And sometimes I just wish like, like that's just built in conflict to me. Like, why are we adding shit? We could be mm-hmm. dealing with this. Now I, I do give you props. I don't think they do enough with it personally. Um, or as much as I would like to see, maybe, maybe it's just cause I find other things boring and I'd like them to folk. Maybe they actually don't need more of it, but like Iron Man does deal with these things. And I do yeah. appreciate that. My, my problem with Iron Man in the first movie, for example, which was an origin story. I get it. He could not fucking take anything seriously. There's not a scene that he takes anything seriously. Yeah. The guy right. is joking amidst like impending doom, right? I hate that. That that's like a big pet peeve of mine cuz what I did is I had never read an Iron Man comic before, Joe. And after I watched the first Iron Man movie, I went and read an Iron Man comic. And guess what? He's a joker all the time except when when yeah. shit goes down. And then he right. takes it seriously. Why? Because this shit's serious. Even right. the Joker's taking it seriously. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Not the DC yeah. Joker. I'm talking about Iron Man. So, like, then in the second movie, for a while I made the controversial statement, Iron Man 2 is better than Iron Man 1. Now, I no longer agree with that statement. However, the reason is for one scene and one scene alone, Joe. Uh-huh. It's yeah. the scene where Tony Stark finally puts down his 
witty banter, and he calls Pepper Potts, and he tells her that he loves her, and that if anything happens, you know, just know that I care. Like, there's, I mean, like, ten seconds of a sincere Tony Stark before he's back to witty banter, right? Right, yeah. Immediately, I'm like, this movie's just better now to me, because I actually care even just a second, like, a smidge more about Mm -hmm. Iron Man. Of course, Iron Man 3, like, he gets better, is what I'm getting yeah. at. Like, he yeah. obviously becomes less that. But I do feel like every movie, he's almost like a different Tony Stark. You know what I mean? Right. Like, um, and I don't even know where I'm going anymore. <laughs> Dude, I just yeah. have, like, a lot of feelings about this. It's actually, yeah. even though I organized them in my notes, it's, like, so hard to just stick to them because yeah. they all seem to just, like, tie in to one another. Um, here, I'm going to give you a softball here, and I want you to answer this. This is the last note that I have, and then maybe I guess we can start wrapping up. Unless, uh, but I, I want you, if you have anything else to say after this, please, by all means, give it to me. But the, the comic relief and comedy, I, I, I bet, if I had to guess, you dig this a lot of times, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But does it ever, even if you're laughing at it, does it ever feel like it's kind of to the detriment of the plot or the movie sometimes yeah there there are there are moments and, and you know and with iron man especially um robert downey jr you know like i know that that's the shtick and that's what you know and it, it works you know some a lot of the time uh, i don't but not all the time for sure there there are moments where it would have been good to be ser- a little more serious um but if, I mean, I, I can rationalize it, you know, that this is how he deals with things. You know, this is how he, you know, you, you mentioned that scene. He has a couple of those scenes. Actually, there's um, a similar one in Infinity War when he's getting on the ship, right? When he's, oh, yeah. when he's flying up to that ship and, and it's, it's almost identical where he's, he calls Pepper. And it, and in a lot of ways, it was maybe even more poignant because Great moment. he doesn't yeah. get a hold of her. Yeah. He, you know, he's like, Hey, call Pepper. Uh, and he's like going to tell her and it's like, she didn't answer. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just like, right. It's like, Oh shit. You know, like that's a thing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because you, you know, you kind of get the feeling he's going to give her that little jokey, you know, bit. And then, you know, I guess what I'm doing. Um, what's that? Was that, am I thinking about that? Right? No, that, I think that was the Avengers because um, yeah, that was the Avengers. He does it in the Avengers the also. Whole, he does it multiple times. In, yeah, because in Infinity War, he does get a hold of her because she's screaming at him not to. She's like, "Don't get on that ship, get off!" Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, it's too late," you know. But it's it's the it's the, they're all that like those are all like those moments, you know, that those beats that they come back. But yeah. the answer is yes. There there are times when, you know, it it definitely detracts from the gravity of it and the you know they the and there's really only a couple times that they did get serious and even then it was just a couple of moments was. Um, with uh, with Age of Ultron, with Sokovia, with the you know, and Sokovia is the one thing that since Age of Ultron, it always elicits kind of a serious reaction from people. Yeah, is that you know, because that city essentially like almost was pretty much destroyed, right? They saved most of the people, but it was still a major event, you know. And then in Civil Wars, what kind of made that you know between the the explosion of sure. the building and then you know they that mass destruction became a thing, but it was still dealt with in a you know even comparing as you said to you know, Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel, it is dealt with a bit less weight, 
you know, it is given a bit, even though it's like, it's a serious moment and everybody's just kind of like, you know, they bow their heads and there's a moment in um, Civil War where Alfred Woodard has that scene with Tony Stark where she's like, hey, that was my son. Was it Civil War? It was, no, it was. Um, I thought it was Civil War. Was it Civil War? Yeah, Civil War where, he, yeah, she's like, you know, that. Because that's, right that's right before, that's right before the cap scene I was bringing up where it yeah. establishes the sides that they're going to be on and the reasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and she and she gives him this really serious scene where she's like, "Yeah, well, this was my son, and he, oh, he loved you guys, and he died on Sokovia, and you guys didn't save him, you know, or you guys See, contributed to his death." You know? I wish that movie, and it does. I hear we're like fantasy booking, right? But it's like, dude, like I, I wish the movie was about that because the last like third of the movie turns into the Winter Soldier killed the Starks, right? And yeah. it's not even that I hate that so much. But in that in that movie specifically, I understand what its purpose, what they make the purpose to be, because it brings wow. Cap and and uh, Winter Soldier back together, and you know they are it really puts those two teams at odds. But I wish it really would have just. I mean, imagine all the time they could have really spent, because I don't yeah. feel like it really developed Bucky no, yeah, all yeah. that much. Like I don't think it really. It just seemed like a really over exaggerated, well executed in terms of. Uh, the Russos knew what they were doing and they made it cinematically pleasing, like like visually pleasing where I enjoyed watching it. But narratively, I just, I don't know, man. I, I, could, I mean, we can, I think, you know, if, if we're getting into like cap recapping or wrapping everything up, it's... I do have you know, a, I, I, I want to say ahead. something about comedy, but go, finish what oh, you're going to oh, say. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to say, you know, I, I still, uh, my, I would say this after our discussion, my opinion remains unchanged. But I can acknowledge now to you, you know, that there are things that they, there are certainly things they could have done better. They, and the, the whole, while the, the larger universe thing is, is fun to me, it, it does in some ways hamstring them. And, and it, their, their focus on that did cause, does cause them to overlook some of these kind of smaller moments, like you've said. And I think some of these movies, and maybe, and maybe they'll do this in this next wave, is be able to have some of those smaller moments instead of worrying quite so much about just setting up the next big event. You know, it's like, you know, you can, it's, it is possible that, you know, this, those earlier, earlier films were, did have a lot of that where they, they're their own story. There's just the thread there of this is what's going to be bigger as opposed to, Hey, the story itself is a, now the thread, and the next big event is the main thrust of the plot. And and there's you know there's certainly a lot of merit to that. Yeah, <laughs> you know to your to your you know to your argument well, for sure. I think my argument still is that the films are not. How do I say this? They. I, I'm not debating on whether they should exist or not, but man, they take a whole lot of time out of the cinematic landscape. Whenever these movies come out, they consume theaters and they really yeah. push these movies of substance, I would argue. And yes, I'm going to use that term regardless of how maybe offensive it can be, but these true movies of substance into like streaming territory. You know what I mean? And a lot of these movies that, you know, we might talk about on our top tens at the end of the year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, like they get buried. What's that? <laughs> That's capitalism in action, right? Exactly. You know? No, no, no. That yeah, that that was kind of my point. I want to make. I want to say one thing about comedy, real quick. There's sure. a difference between 
a scene being carried out in the film and the film feeling like it is trying to be comedic. Yes. And there's a difference between that and a character exclusively being a character that is witty or comedic right. in a film film that is otherwise serious, okay? Yeah. So right. in the moments where, you know, in Civil War or whatever it was where uh, Tony Stark is going up and Pepper Potts is like, don't you get on that ship? You know, right. I'm, I don't remember the exact dialogue, but I'm sure he's being witty and, and mm-hmm. silly with her trying to break, break the tension. But I yeah. never felt in that moment like the film was trying to be funny. It was right. very much exclusively tied to this character who that's mm-hmm. how he is. And the film yeah. is still taking the moment seriously. Uh, yeah. Same thing with um, Endgame. Mm-hmm. Opening sequence. It's uh, Tony Stark on the ship. Yeah, they're lost in space. I, yeah. I I don't know why I have Gamora in my head, and that's not her name. Who who was yeah, he with? Yeah, it's, uh, it's Nebula. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, Tony Stark and Nebula, uh, you know, a little motley skeleton crew of people. Like, who, why are they yeah. together? But they're on the yeah. ship. That is one of my favorite moments of the entire mm-hmm. MCU. How thin yeah. and like like Tony Stark yeah. looks. He had to have lost tons of weight for that. He looks unhealthy. He keeps trying to just send messages home. Yeah. Uh And guess what? But this is the thing, man, because development is not just telling stories in certain ways. Development is also allowing a scene to breathe so that the fire can be stoked. Do you get what I'm saying? If if you don't give enough time to a fire, it's going to snuff out. But if you give it time and you give it enough room to breathe, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to, it's going to be a vivacious fire, right? The thing with, with, Tony Stark in that sequence is that scene, that whole sequence is actually pretty slow for the MCU. Yeah. I mean, they take a lot of time of just sitting there looking at Tony Stark, looking out a window. You know what I mean? Yeah. I right. adore this because this type of breathing room that they give allows me to kind of get into the atmosphere that they're trying to build. It kind of ties me and connects me with these characters because yeah. I can understand why he would be bored. He's just sure. sitting there. Right. And he thinks he thinks he's gonna die. Mm-hmm. And how do they say that? They don't just it's not him just sitting across from Nebula going, I feel like I'm gonna die. Which they do that shit a lot. Not that exact yeah. thing, but they tell you what they're feeling all the time. I feel like I can just look at Tony Stark in those moments and feel what he's feeling. Yeah. That's what I want, and that's what I like about in-game. I have problems with certain scenes. Um, and it's really cool that Hawkeye's like a ninja. But yeah. like, you know, like, um, but there are s- certain scenes in that movie that actually breathe and like mm-hmm. it gives room for you to feel these things rather than them just taking one exclusive scene to say this character's feeling this and then moving on and you never feel like the character's feeling it. Right. Right. So I, I just like the comedic relief thing is often a big setback for that. It's a hang up I have because like John Ford movies, I think John Ford's a master but I do not like a lot of his movies personally. I can talk yeah. about how they're great, you know, pieces of art, but I like I for my personal cup of tea, it does not belong, right? But in, in those movies, it's that. You know, in The Searchers, for example, which is my favorite of his. But in The Searchers, you have John Wayne who goes down into this like little like cave or whatever, and yeah. the camera never sh- it doesn't follow him. It just stays up on top. And then he walks out ha- at half speed and you can just tell on his face that he just found his dead niece. Okay. Uh, I think it's like the next scene or two scenes later. It is pure comedy, like pure yeah. comedy. 
because they got to lift that moment because that's way too heavy for a 1956 or 46, 56, I think it is, 1956 crowd, you know, audience. Like, I, I, I get what he's trying to do. You know, I, I, I prefer it just letting it be heavy and allowing us to deal with it, but I get it. I get it. Sure. So in these movies, I feel the same fucking way. Like, yeah. something fucking heavy just happened. Let me feel it before you send in, you know, yeah. Don Knotts. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what? Like, what's happening? I don't need Barney Fife in here. Like, I don't need Iron Man and Hulk, like, joking around. Yeah. Or, like, you know, Thor talking about how his hammer's bigger than something yeah. else, and it's really just, like, a euphemism for dicks or something. Like, right. I'm, I'm making this stuff up, but the point is, like... Sure. This I just don't need that, man. And and you yeah. know what's funny is I don't even mind Thor being like this like fat, you know, the dude from Big Lebowski. You know right. what I mean? In in yeah. a lot of Endgame. I think that's funny. I I understand using humor to get across a very serious subject, which is his PTSD. Sure. And I actually sure. think that like parts of those things are actually really funny. Sure. But dude, this movie is it's not about stopping destruction. The destruction already happened in the last right. one. And billions yeah. of people gone, right? Right. This movie is about restoring mm -hmm. pre-destruction era life, right? Yes. Uh -huh. And they still don't shy away because these people are still gone for like five years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which they deal with Falcon and stuff uh, yeah. in, in, in that series. Um, but like, I, I appreciate those things. I, we have yet to see how that will truly be established and and developed from here on. I hope it's really well. Yeah. But like, I just don't need blatant comedy where the film is literally having like this har har humor. Yeah. Like trying to force this comic relief. Yeah. I'm okay with feeling feelings, and I also wish that the humor and in the later films they do this with Tony Stark. I wish that just let the characters have their humor, but keep the scenes consistent keep yes. them like let them go you can still have funny moments and i don't so much mind the little one-off jokes you know that they'll sometimes throw one a har har joke in but it doesn't kill the whole atmosphere i'll yeah. tell you what man i'll for as much as i enjoy the first guardians of the galaxy when star lord starts dancing at ronin i just got mad yeah that i thought that was kind of silly yeah at that, least it's that, a comedy Beyond to me, yeah. Yeah, at least it's a comedy, so I get it, and I can give it a little bit of forgiveness there. But that's yeah. fucking silly. You like the film itself? It felt like at that moment changed its tone and was like, "We're just going to be funny now." You know what I mean, yeah. dude? Yeah. This is the end of the fucking world. Yeah. Uh -huh. Why are we joking? Right. This is my problem with a lot of yeah. these, and and the yeah. comedy, the comic relief is often at the forefront because. Some movies like Thor Ragnarok, there's a scene where he walks. I I want to say it's Thor walks in and throws like a cup or something at Loki or something like that. And it's just yeah. a throwaway, like very quick moment. They don't sit and rest and let you laugh. Like it's yeah. throws it, it hits Loki, and they're immediately in conversation. But yeah. I laughed so hard when he just chucks this thing. Yeah. Like I thought that I, I thought it was funnier that they didn't rest on it. And make the whole scene about that comedy moment. It's like just yeah. this one thing, and it's still being serious, and there's still or it's still consistent in tone, rather, you know. Yeah. yeah. Are my points being made? Like, are you following <laughs> me here? No, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're valid. You know, um, I can't. You know, like I said, I can't argue them too much. 
Um, you know, I, I still love these movies and, and I think I'll continue to, but, um, but no, that that's, it, it is interesting. These are a lot of things I hadn't considered before. Um, some of these things yeah. and, and, uh, you know, I have a lot, I have sort of an, maybe an evolving wish list for, for what the future brings. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that would let me continue to enjoy them, you know, and, and just step up a little more. And, and I agree, I agree with a lot of those. And I think, uh, you know, to, to your point about, especially about Falcon and the Winter Soldier and about WandaVision and, and these upcoming series is that hopefully they'll let some of these characters do that. They give them those, those breathing room moments, as you said, and, you know, that chance to, to stretch out and, and be real people instead of just crazy superheroes flying around. And quite stuff. frankly, if you're getting rid of your main top guys... Because I'm starting to feel like uh, Hemsworth is starting to count his days yeah. down. I hope not, but yeah. they, they're kind of getting rid of the first run, right? Yeah, they, and yeah, he's got at least one more, right? They have um, to, yeah, they have to start doing something to develop these characters because, quite frankly, in my opinion, they have not done a good job up yeah. to this point. But this is a really good start, though. They've done WandaVision. They're doing like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Even if they're not great, like you're at least giving airtime to these people and trying to make them look like stars. And I'll give them that. Like they do look like the stars of these shows. And I think that's important. And I, I do, for as much of a critic as I am, I, I love Marvel properties. Yeah. So I want them to do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'll, I'll give you a rundown real quick of, uh, I'm going to skip all of the superhero movies that are not MCU movies. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I might even have missed a few on here, but, uh, so Captain America Winter Soldier is my favorite. And then next is Endgame. And then the first Thor, Captain Marvel. I'm not even going to look at you cause you're probably going to be scowling at me. <laughs> and then Civil War, uh-huh. Black Panther, mm-hmm. Infinity War, Guardians of the Galaxy. What is this one? Age of Ultron, Ragnarok. I'm not even going to keep going. That's like my top whatever, however many I did. That was six or seven. It, yeah. it really starts to, I mean, it goes way downhill. My my least favorite is Ant-Man and Wasp. I feel like I wish that movie had never, I wish it went out in the blip and yeah. it did not exist. <laughs> I was like angry after I saw that actually. Uh-huh. And I like Paul Rudd. Like, I don't have a problem. I, sure. So I'll, t- I'll, get, I'll tell you what I'll do and then I'll stop. And, and sure. um, so here are, my, here are my bottom five, starting with my... Yeah, with my least okay. favorite, okay, okay. Ant Man and Wasp. I already said that, uh-huh. and then right before it in the overall list, Captain America: First Avenger. We can talk about that. Okay. Sure. And then Thor: The Dark, Dark World, uh-huh. and then Ant Man right before that, uh-huh. and then Iron Man Two. Uh-huh. Now these are actually pretty spread out. They're not back to back in the list, but as I'm going through cherry picking, those are my bottom five. Do you have like a favorite yeah. top few? I've, I've got, I've got them all ranked here. Me I'm too. Yeah. 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 So I've got, so my, my, if I go top five, I'm going um, in game, then infinity war, then the winter soldier, civil war, then Ragnarok. So that's, that's one through five for me. Um, so, I mean, there, there's quite a bit of crossover, you know, between the two of us there. Yeah. And my bottom five, is uh, again from you know from worst you know going from worst Incredible Hulk, Thor: The Dark World, Thor, Captain America: The First Avenger. So and and I don't and you know and I and I always tell people like I want to be clear like I don't I don't hate any of those. I just feel like they're they do the least of the others, you know compare you know comparatively. And then um, 
you know, if you want me to just stretch a couple more because it crosses over more with yours, Ant-Man and then Iron Man 2. Um, then I have Age of Ultron and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So those are those are the for me, the, the bottom, you know, the bottom of that list. Yeah. But um, and here's the thing. Uh, I, I want this to be clear. Uh, I, I, I named 10. I just counted them. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok, which was my number 10, is number 26 on the list. Just so yeah, you understand okay. how like spread yeah. out those are. Um, yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp is 46. I just hate to see. I, I'm like, I'm trying to think of 26 superhero movies better than that. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, like I could probably come up with nine or 10, but I'm just going to be like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you want to hear real fast? Snuck in there that I'm going to like, like crawl into you know, like roll my eyes at, but. Uh, there, I, I think we. I think maybe we could just. I think maybe we should just direct people to our letterbox to look at those. Oh, that's yeah. I don't even know if mine's public, but I can make it public. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, I think it is now that. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot, and, and I'll say this: there, there are uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, the one from 2012, yeah. Batman, and Batman Returns. I have not seen. I haven't seen Batman, Batman Returns for like over 15 years, and Amazing Spider-Man. I only saw the year it came out. Uh-huh. I'm basing it solely on my ratings. Okay. So those are okay. ones I need to revisit. Everything else yeah. I think I can mostly stand behind. There are a few others, I guess, like Hellboy, I should probably rewatch. Again, mm-hmm. that's still based on my memory and uh, ratings. Sure. There are a few. But the MCU stuff's pretty fresh. I actually just just sure. this year got caught up with those and finished. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, to sum it up, I I, I don't I, I want people to enjoy these. I think my biggest thing is when you know, I would always have students in my pop in my um, uh, public speaking courses, and one of the questions I would do uh, give them is uh, I would have them team up day one. I'd have them, I'd pair them up with somebody, and they have to interview each other and answer four questions. It was what's their name, what's their major at school. Uh, oh shit, I already forget. Um, what's, oh, where, what city are they from? Right, yeah. originally. And then uh, what is their favorite movie and or favorite music and or special talent appropriate for class, right? And they always right. get a kick out of that, right? So what they do is the goal is they need to they need to tell me at least one of those things, but they often give a few. Yeah. And their favorite movies are always the newest big thing. Yeah. Like it's always like as soon as Endgame came out, it's like Endgame. You know, yeah. or before that, it's like Black Panther or like whatever the thing is. And I like Black Panther now. I think Black Panther actually does a lot of things really well. I just think yeah. it falls short in other ways that are more fundamental. Uh, sure. But like, man, it does certain things I wish more of them would do. But yeah, in, any of the, it could have been First Avenger, like in, any of them right. would work. And so like what I want people to understand is I want movies to just be fun. Like I don't think Billy Madison is actually a great movie. I no, think it's no. fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, oh, like yeah. I love that movie. I love Tommy Boy. I do. I even love Black Sheep. You know, yeah. like I love Water Boy. Like I don't give a fuck. Like these right. movies are right. awesome to me. Now I grew up during them. I'm sure there's a nostalgia, but I still find them funny. Wayne's World, like all, yeah. even <laughs> Wayne's World 2. I don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> like I like all of these movies, man. You uh-huh. know, um, yeah. but I'm not, I, I still identify them as mm-hmm. I think these are not good movies, but I still find them entertaining. Yeah, versus absolutely. a movie that I think is actually good filmmaking. And yeah, and yeah. in in the in the movie that or in the video I described earlier, you know, these movies being juxtaposed against your Godfathers, There Will Be Bloods, Grand Budapest Hotel, you know, Inside yeah. Lewin Davis, all these, you know, I, I like all of those movies to varying degrees, but I do see them in some sort of like 
more every one of them if you saw the clips joe mm-hmm. you felt exactly yeah. what you didn't feel but thought you were supposed to feel in the other so it yeah. made its point really well i thought regardless of how one feels about both and yeah. so i guess my big thing with the mcu is i just hate when and maybe this makes me sound pretentious but i just hate when it's like put on the same level you know what I mean? Because I just yeah. I would just argue to the death that it's just not. They can be just as entertaining. They can be people's subjective favorite movies. Dude, yeah. awesome. My favorite film is Pulp Fiction. Right. I don't think it's the best film ever made, but yeah. it is it is a big soft spot in my heart for that movie. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like there's a differentiation there, you know, and not everyone has that vocabulary, that language, or that knowledge to speak that way. But it just, yeah, I don't know. I just get upset because I get this a lot. Sorry, I, I'm going to wrap up, but you know, I have about like I have about 15 years worth of frustration with this going through my veins, and this is the first time I've had a platform to discuss it with somebody. So, here's the thing: what I hate is if and and I, I apply this to most. I apply this to the new Mortal Kombat movie. I apply this to the new Star Wars movies. I apply this to like any of the big blockbusters, the Godzilla Kong movies, all of that mm-hmm. shit. Right. If I don't like, you know, let's just say like Star Wars Episode Nine, which I don't, if I don't like that movie, I'm immediately badgered instantly by sure. casual moviegoers that say, mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be Citizen Kane, dude. Just like enjoy oh, it. God. Yes. If there's sure. nothing there for me to enjoy and there's right. nothing of substance for me to at least be able to chew on. Yeah. Like in a John Ford movie, he's an incredible storyteller and his shots are often incredibly beautiful. Even right. if I think his movies are a mess for me, like for my preference, I can still appreciate the artistic uh, qualities of it. Yeah. That does not exist in these new Star Wars movies or a lot of the MCU movies, I would argue, or fucking Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. If you're not entertained right. by what exists on the screen, why would I like it? Right. Just because yeah. you like it doesn't mean I'm going to. Right. But just be, you know, I can also look at a certain movies, you know, something like There Will Be Blood. If you're not entertained by that, I can talk your ear off about why it should still be appreciated. Yes. I can't yeah. do that with a lot of these. <laughs> you know? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I think that's like, I, I just, I mean, I've just had a bug up my ass about this for years because <laughs> you immediately get that fucking snob shit put on you. Yeah. And it's like, this isn't about being some pretentious snob. I want people to love what they love. And if you love every MCU movie, like Joe, you like all of them. Great. Yeah. I want you yeah. to fall in love with movies. I don't give a shit. Sure. Fall in love. Sure. It's like wrestling. Mm-hmm. If one company does great, all wrestling does great, right? Yeah. If if you love movies, then maybe that will have you branch out and start watching more movies. And that's good mm-hmm. for everyone. Okay, right. whether you like them or not, just go find shit that you love and try new things, broaden your horizons. That's my passion. Yeah. And I just feel like a lot of people only ever see this shit. MCU, mm-hmm. Star Wars, Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. Kong versus yeah. or Godzilla versus like whatever. And it's just like, man, there's so much more out there. Don't give me shit because right. I've seen so much shit with such a wider emotional spectrum that yeah. this just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Am I right, am I, I an asshole, Joe? Uh oh. Oh no. Stop. Not, not for that reason. <laughs> I meant that seriously, and then immediately regretted that question. Anyways, Joe, I, I I do. People know my thoughts on this now. 
This is, yeah. you know, I don't think money equals uh, quality by any means, but I mean, highest grossing franchise in history, 26 or $22.6 billion. They're still yeah. kicking ass. I want to leave off with something that you say instead of me leaving us off. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, what, yeah what do you want I, to end with? Yeah. I, yeah, I love these. I, I, and I feel like they're, I feel like they're, you know, like, like you said, I, they're not all just high quality filmmaking necessarily, but I think they do what they do well for the most part. And I think, I think they, they create movies that, that do enough that are entertaining. They're not they're you know, I'm, I'm not going to give the, Oh, they're just entertainment because that's bullshit. And I hate that too. Um, but I think they, for me, they do enough to keep me happy with, you know, with story and all of that. And I love the, the larger aspects of the story. Um, and I, and I, I get and fully accept the criticisms, but I, I think they're tremendous cinema, you know, like the, <laughs> however you want to say that, whatever word you want to use, I think they're good. They were for what they're meant to be. I think they're, they do a great job of it. Um, the characters they're showing, I think they embodied them in, in the ways that I like for the most part. Um, and I think they could do more, but, um, you know, especially, like I said, after talking to you and after hearing these, but I still love them. I'm still going to love them. And I still, you know, I, I wept openly three times during Avengers Endgame, And as I told people before, not always did the sad parts, <laughs> not yeah. necessarily the sad part. So it still evokes that emotional reaction. Um, I get what they represent. And I think what they represent to you is this court kind of more, uh, as a baser form of filmmaking, and I, I get that, and I, you know, um, but you know, overall, I I find them very enjoyable. I find them uh, memorable and and fun and entertaining, and and I love them, and I I think I always will. They'll always yeah. represent that to me. And I so, uh, I, I sincerely love that you love them, and, and I know I've been pretty hard on it, but I know that these movies actually mean a lot to a lot of people. I mean, they like yeah. a lot, you know, and and I guess I've just always demanded more. Like, I don't know how else to say that. I guess I just, you know, after, you know, I've told you this before, you know, I, my favorite films before were like one of my favorite films was The Rock by Michael Bay before I got into yeah. movies. And as you start watching movies and exploring and you get such a wider emotional spectrum and, and a more complex narrative spectrum yeah. and you start seeing these things that really start to blow your mind, you know, um, so you have like The Rock is this spectrum. But as you start widening that, right, mm -hmm. and your spectrum is now, you know, my hands are like, you know, a foot apart or whatever, then The Rock is still that inch spectrum, right? Yeah. You, you have grown beyond this movie. Now, it doesn't mean right. it can't still be entertaining to you, but at that point, right. you can hopefully recognize in retrospect, oh, this isn't as complex or yeah. like or, or emotionally fulfilling as it once was. That's just where I was in my cinematic journey. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like I, I love that like I love that you wept. You know what I mean? Like I, I love yeah. finding those moments in movies that really like hit me so deeply uh yeah. that that movies then transcend just entertainment and they're meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. And um but I also I just wish that it just sucks that a lot of times people will just use the entertainment thing or whatever. Or they'll say, for a superhero movie, dude, I think it's just really great. And it's yeah. like, hold that. But you're, you are accepting a mediocre product by compartmentalizing it 
in mediocre right. products. So in mediocre products, it is the best, right? Right. It's like, yeah. but wait, your spectrum's still small, right? Like the spectrum yeah. of yeah. film is much bigger than that. I don't need them to be the godfather, nor do I want them to be. They may remain entertainment. I just can, there are just too many other meant for pure entertainment movies that right. accomplish so much more than these do. Not so much narratively, because they've had 23 movies to like develop what they do, but I mean, movie by movie at the very least. Right, right. And I just wish we could get better entertainment movies that just have more for you to kind of chew on and build characters that are really meaningful, and it's not just Hulk smash, let's kill everyone. Yeah. But... I don't know. I, I and I am simplifying it. We're gonna go ahead and wrap up. I, I but I, I really do appreciate your your perspective and um I and I don't want you to stop liking them. I appreciate yeah, no. that you also accept my criticisms. <laughs> um sure. and I'm just gonna count that as a win. So no, I don't want you to stop liking them. But hey, this was this was a an extended episode. The MCU is far too large um to kind of Put together, and I quite frankly, I just didn't want to make this two episodes. Um, though I guess we technically could, but anyways, um, yeah, this is just like an elongated thing. I finally got this off my chest. This is something we've talked yeah. about from the beginning, and this will give context for whenever we dig into blockbusters. Because my feelings about this is largely how I feel about most, you know. Sure. Um, and so I, I look forward to getting into the summer and kind of digging into these with you. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, that's the end of today's show. Um, I will let you guys know what we're doing. What's up for next week? What's on the docket there? Uh, we're going to have some fun stuff for you coming up this next month in May. Um, but for now, Joe, I'm just going to go ahead and leave off. Or is that how you say that? We're going to we're going to we're going to head out of here. Yeah, let's get out of here. Too damn hot for a penguin. OK, bye. everyone that was our episode for this week thank you so much for sticking around with us for over two and a half hours as we sat here and you know talked about the marvel cinematic universe i mean there are 23 movies there's a huge legacy there's a lot to talk about here and we just didn't think it was fair to do you know in an hour or, or an hour and a half or whatever even um well an hour and a half would have been fine but you know we wanted to just kind of like get it all out and also i didn't really want to make this two episodes i thought it'd be super weird if you just like we came in just halfway into it next week or something. So we'll hop on to something else. But hopefully you enjoy this episode. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with Joe about it. Uh, hey, you know, we're going to be doing some more of uh, each of us choosing our favorite films coming up here uh, over the next few weeks. We're going to have some uh, new films that I'm going to review. There's going to be a lot going on. So, again, make sure you subscribe, follow us, you know, make sure you just help us out and uh, help us keep getting this uh, getting this done. Now, also, uh, if you want to follow us on social media, as I said, please hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Medium Cool Pod. You can also find me at Austin Glidden on Twitter, and you can find Joe at Joe Shearer Nine on Twitter. Also, uh, I think Joe mentioned this on on the show. I can't remember now, but uh, you should definitely get on Letterboxd and find me, Austin Glidden, or Joe Joe Shearer. Uh, find us on there, and you can find what we are watching. But hey, I'm gonna get out of here. We've already talked too long. Thank you so much. We love you. Good night. Good luck. And hey, take it easy. <laughs>